Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. All right, a very good, calm Sunday morning to you. It's chilly out there. I don't know if you ventured out yet this morning, but definitely you'll be wearing a jacket when you go out this morning. Not like it's going to be toward the end of the week. We're supposed to have some really severe cold the end of the week. Uh, uh, I'm not going to worry about it yet. It's still like five days out, but uh, we are certainly not out of winter yet. But anyway, today is just sort of uh, the opposite of what yesterday was. Yesterday was just blustery and windy all day long and not a very nice day to be out in. Going to be about 30 degrees warmer today and no wind. So hope you're planning to get out and enjoy. If you've got some gardening to do, it's going to be a great day for it. Lots of things to talk about, lots of things to do, but you know what I'm most interested what in is what is on your mind and we're going to start out this morning talking to diane and aj and penny leaves one line open grab it if you like 210-599-5555 but we begin with diane uh, good morning diane diane are you there i i am here can you hear me now i can hear you loud and clear now good morning hey there Okay, so now that I'm not blowing away, I actually almost blew over yesterday. <laughs> well, skinny little thing that you are. We used to tease my grandfather had a, a little bitty guy work for him for like 40 years named Leroy. And we used to tell Leroy, man, you better put rocks in your pockets today because it's going to be windy out there. And that's that's kind of the way it was for, for a lot of folks yesterday. Yes, it was. So, okay, here's what I have to know. Where did I go wrong? So I have three fabric pots. Mm -hmm. They they just sit directly on the ground. And they have greens, Mm -hmm. you know, like um, lettuce and arugula and spinach and stuff like that, chard. And so not last night, but the previous two freezes, I Mm -hmm. covered those with an old piece of row cover. I mean, this thing has got to be 20 years old, but I keep pulling it up and using it. And then I have two troughs, the galvanized troughs, and I have them slightly elevated, like the height of a, of a brick, you know, so okay. they can drain and all. Uh-huh. And I covered those with a brand spanking new piece of row cover and a big one that hung all the way to the ground. I weighted it with bricks, and that's my cauliflower, my broccoli, my radish, my cabbage, and they look horrible. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't even think they're salvageable. So what went wrong? Well, the biggest thing is the full, like, two weeks beforehand when it was 75 and 80 degrees. 
Uh, the plants just kind of assumed it was spring. They stopped. Uh, they took off their winter clothes, so to speak. And uh, last time I remember this happening was back in 1989 when we had a day that we went from uh, 82 to 22. And even pansies just shriveled up and died, just shriveled up and froze. Um, it just covering, uh, in some cases, helped, but a lot of things, especially uh, little things sprouted from seed. I had mustard and I had... Uh, uh, see kale, a couple other things from seed, and it just absolutely froze. It just plain and simply froze my uh, my plants that were already up, and I oh, so poor on my on my Toscano kale and on my mustard. The leaves were five inches wide and seven inches long, just absolutely perfect, and it fried almost every leaf on them. It looks like they're going to come out again, but our I don't you know know what more we could have done maybe two or three layers of row cover or something on them but they just weren't prepared they uh they did not harden off they had started to put on what they thought was going to be their new spring growth and it got cold it stayed cold for several hours and i don't know anybody around that didn't have damage you know to lots of different things not so much on perennial plants but i tell you that I, I've i not heard about anybody's garden that didn't just really take a big hit. Well, I was just wondering because the items in the fabric pots, mm-hmm. which sit on the ground, right. did really good. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know if it was because those were elevated, if they didn't trap enough air or warmth or i don't know maybe not maybe it's well the fabric pots of course are insulative so to speak uh you know that that open weave fabric doesn't get nearly as cold as a metal container uh would but it was more what was up on top and um again just having had all that warm weather followed by and uh, I don't know about you, I had 21. You probably had 19 to 21 at your home as well. And that was just flat too cold for it. So if I had been a good plant mommy and started spring with the um, seaweed, what is that combination where you spray and it helps build Se- up seaweed the sugar? Molasses. Seaweed, seaweed and molasses. Seaweed and molasses. If I had done that about five or six weeks in advance and done it about once a week, do you think that would have made a difference? It would have helped. Whether it would have made all the difference or not, I don't know. Um, again, uh, there are only a couple of times in uh, all the years that I've been gardening here that I've seen this situation where we had uh, a real long, warm run-up and a period of very dry weather and then followed by a very sudden, severe cold. And uh, little plants uh, just don't take it. Even the ones... Uh, uh, now, I have to say my spinach was not hurt at all, uh, but spinach is the most cold-hardy of the leafy greens, but people that I know with lettuce, it just pretty much turned to mush. Um, Howard was saying that just about everything in his garden up in Dallas froze. He thinks a lot of it's going to come back. I cut mine back yesterday, and um, you know, and it looks like there's new growth coming out, but then I looked at the forecast, and we're supposed to be like... 21 degrees on Thursday morning again, so I, I'm i going to use, uh, and insulated, of course, is by far the best of the row covers. These things called plankets just, in my experience, do absolutely nothing to protect plants. 
but uh, I'll I'm going to cover two or three layers thick, and we'll see what happens. It may just be one of those years where we say, well, almost time for tomatoes and squash because it's uh, <laughs> it sure has been hard on the things that are normally cold. And the other thing that really surprised me, things like Brussels sprouts. Brussels sprouts normally go to zero degrees. I've seen them, saw them in Albuquerque uh, one winter when I had a speaking engagement out there. These folks had beautiful garden in their backyard. Brussels sprouts plants two feet tall. It was about two degrees out there, and they were just happy as could be. But even the Brussels sprouts froze this year. So should I do anything with my awful-looking broccoli and cauliflower or just kind of let it, I mean, should I cut those leaves off that are all crispy-looking? If the leaves are totally crispy, you might as well. You know, if they're no longer able to carry on photosynthesis or not doing anything to support the plant anymore. Uh, other than the fact, I might wait till the end of the week to do it because anything that offers a little bit of uh, extra insulation will be a help. I very definitely would give everything a very thorough watering uh, by Tuesday or Wednesday before. And, and, of course, we'll just have to watch the forecast. They could raise it. They could lower it. They could do anything. Uh, when something's four days away, I just, you know, if I don't make... Yeah. I don't rush out and do something immediately because the weatherman, you know, they'll change it four minutes ahead of time. But uh, I, I don't think I would cut a lot back at this point. I'd leave what's on there in place just for the little bit of uh, insulating quality it will have. Okay. I'll just do that. And uh, next year, maybe next year I will make the right time to take care of my little plant friends because well, they were amazing i i i know but like i said diane don't beat yourself up too badly because mother nature is the one that did it to us by giving us such a string of warm weather running right up to that severe cold yeah okay well thank you so much bob and always it's a pleasure to talk talking to you, to you. <laughs> i'm glad you're doing well and i'll talk to you soon okay bye-bye thanks bye all right, uh, AJ is up next. Let's see what kind of situations we have down south of San Antonio. Good morning, AJ. Good morning, Bobby. How are you doing this morning? Well, you know, I'm doing better than I was yesterday morning because it's calm and uh, <laughs> probably not as good as I will be doing tomorrow morning when it will be a little bit warmer. But all in all, I'm just kind of stuck in the middle here, as that old uh, song's <laughs> went. Yeah, so my day's off true. to a good start. How are the situations in your life today? Well, yesterday they were pretty much of a bitch. But uh, mm. this morning I went outside. Wind's not blowing near as hard. And so, like you said, it's going to warm, supposed to warm up a little bit. Yeah. And I'm waiting for the weather to come on now while I'm talking to you to see what they're going to predict on at the end of the week. Yeah. So, uh, what I, my, my, my situation this morning is I'm going to uh, plant some more portalaca and moss rose seeds. I've got mm -hmm. that uh, gopher sand here. Yes, sir. Tell, tell me again how to, to, to do it. I know i got to, you know, I'm going to have to run the soil through a, a screen wire and get it real fine and then put it in something and mix it up good with the seed to uh, put it on the ground. You can do that, uh, A.J., or if you want to make it a little bit easier, if the soil's real loose out there, you could just uh, sprinkle your seed out and take a hard rake, a grass rake with those tines, 
and just go rake over it real hard. That would that get that seed just you know barely below the surface of the ground. If you want to go to the trouble to screen it and uh, you know just make a perfect little seed bed for it, uh, that's fine too. In which case you just sprinkle your seed on top and then add maybe a quarter of an inch of that sandy soil on top of that. But uh, portulaca and purslane, those are some pretty tough, hardy plants for your area. And uh, like I say, unless you got a lot of debris out there, a lot of big rocks mixed in, I just sprinkle those seeds on the surface, just drag that grass strike over them a couple of times, water them really good, and I think you'll be off to all everything you need. No, see, what I'm going to use, that, that uh, soil that I run through a screen, uh-huh. I'm going to mix that seed in that soil. Okay, yeah, yeah. And, and then and then apply it. I'm going to take a take a old uh, pickle jar and punch some holes in a lid, and then just sure. shake it out. And then I'll then I'll take that hard rake and go over it because uh, those I, I opened up a package of those seeds. <laughs> they're so damn small. <laughs> You're now, right about that. You're they, right uh, about let, that, but you know, you you'll do fine, just fine that way. But uh, you're taking what I would consider a 15 minute job and turning it into an hour and 15 minutes. But uh, uh, you're doing it the right way, and you're just giving it an absolutely perfect start. So uh, I think you've got it going. Uh, you know, your hand's going to dry, or your soil's going to dry very quickly. So when you first shake those seeds out, you're probably going to be watering every day or at least every other day until you see those little plants uh see a little green start coming up and then from then on you know how drought tolerant they are and uh how easy they are to grow so uh um i, I wouldn't be doing any of this quite yet i'd be definitely mm-hmm. waiting for mm-hmm. the probably first couple of weeks of march uh and mm-hmm. we'll just have to look and see what the weather's doing by then mm-hmm. now i had some in some pots last year and i, I let everything alone Mm-hmm. I didn't take anything out, and they died off. I, I guess some of them should uh, germinate this spring again, shouldn't they? Well, yes and no. Uh, in the case of your moss rose, your portulaca, um, they will probably come back, and they're probably absolutely beautiful. The purslane, for whatever reason, when it comes back from seed, it's normally just a nasty little green thing that doesn't have any flowers to speak of. Uh, so I I don't think, I've never had the purslane come back um, any good at all. Now, people tell me it's good in salads. Uh, I guess I think if you're a goat, it'd be very good in a salad. But some people <laughs> think it tastes good. And what comes back is certainly good salad material. But I have never had purslane come back with attractive flowers. Uh, the moss rose, on the other hand, usually does with no problem at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. All righty, Bobby. Well, I just see it now. Our lowest temperature is predicted is 29 on Friday. Well, and 31, uh, 31 on Thursday here. Of course, you're you're over toward Victoria, so yeah, we're yeah. going to get a little chillier in the hill country. But it doesn't sound like you're going to have anything serious going on, AJ. So you All get right. out and enjoy this beautiful day. Thank you, Bob. Bye. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Goodbye. All right, let's get a break in here. Penny will be up right after that. I get to talk about the freeze miser, and especially if you're up in the hill country, don't be taking your freeze misers off. Uh, probably going to need them to the end of the week once again, and 
I was just thinking this morning as I was driving in, there are a couple of fairly low hydrants that I haven't put freeze misers on before. Uh, I've got them on all my higher hydrants, and they work absolutely perfectly. But as I was driving in, I think I need to take my own advice. I can think of two other hydrants that would benefit from a freeze miser. If you still don't know what a freeze miser is, it is a remarkable little device, a little mini torpedo-like device. It's maybe, oh, three, three and a half inches long, maybe an inch or an inch and a quarter in diameter. Has no batteries, no wires, anything like that. You screw it onto the hydrant, and you turn the water on and nothing happens. No water comes out. It just sits there unless or until the water inside the hydrant, inside the pipe, inside the hose. You can even put these on the end of a short hose if you like. But when the water in that situation drops to 37 degrees, the freeze miser automatically starts dripping. It's like it drips your hydrants when they need it, and as soon as it warms up, it stops dripping them. This saves a tremendous amount of water, and it saves a lot of plumbing bills as well. I heard about this last freeze. Uh, you know, I had several people tell me their whole neighborhood decided to drip their hydrants at once, so the water pressure, uh, you know, stopped dripping, and people had things freeze and break. That's the nice thing about the freeze miser. It doesn't reduce, it doesn't use hardly any water at all, but it definitely keeps the pipes staying warm, staying above 37 degrees. Of course, even last year when it got down close to zero, freeze misers functioned perfectly. If you want to watch them work, if you want to read all about them, you simply go to freezemiser.com. If you want to be smart and get some for your own hydrants, visit a good nursery, a good garden center, a good hardware store, a good farm and ranch store not gonna find them in the box stores they like independent merchants and uh but let me tell you what they really do work they are the freeze miser m-i-s-e-r south texas gardening with bob webster is on the air news talk 550 ktsa and fm 1071 all right, back to gardening on a beautiful Sunday morning out there. It's going to be a very nice day, especially compared to yesterday when the wind tried to blow everything away. Be a whole lot better out there today. Don tells me we have several open lines, so I love five fifty-five. We'll say good morning to Penny. What's going on in your world this morning, Penny? Good morning, Bob. I have really, really screwed up, I think, Good and I, I hope you'll tell me that I'm wrong. <laughs> um, I have some Medina has to grow in one of those handy-dandy plastic bottles where you squeeze the bottle, and it puts a, a one-ounce portion up in a little reservoir, and you pour that into your gallon yeah. of water. Right. Well, last right. week, I, I was looking for my bottle I have to grow and couldn't find it and lo and behold it was on the back porch um in my broadcast spreader my walk behind broadcast spreader and so anyway <laughs> I picked it up and when I went <laughs> when I went to squeeze it the the bottle punched through it was like brittle um the plastic was so brittle it just punched right through um and I had quite a bit of has to grow going everywhere um is that any good anymore? Can I save it into a mason jar or something? Is it still any good, or should I throw it away? I would, I, I would, yeah, put it in a mason jar and give it the sniff test. If it still just has that kind of humic, earthy smell to it, it's just fine. If it starts smelling really stinky, uh, the the 
aerosol that's called putrescine, which is a pretty appropriate name for something that just smells horrible. But as mm-hmm. long as it, uh, uh, you know, as long as it doesn't smell like it is just fermented or something, it should still be fine to use. Now, I I worry more about you know the the heat than the age. If it was sitting out in a place that got you know, superheated this summer. It may have lost some quality, but uh, uh, again, I know that you know that most of it that we buy has spent some time sitting in a distributor's warehouse after they got it from uh, Medina. So Stewart manufactures that stuff to be pretty darn stable and uh, pretty tolerant of a wide range of conditions. So I, I again, like I say, give it a sniff test. I mean, it's not going to sm- smell like something you want to have for soup, but uh, unless it has developed just a really foul odor, uh, I think you're just fine to go on using it, use it at the same strength, and and next time, remember to put it in the closet or the storage bin or somewhere other than the fertilizer spreader. Okay. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much. You're a very honest lady. Not everybody would admit to that. Okay. I'm sorry. All right. What was that? And I said, uh, you're a very honest lady. Not everybody around would admit to doing something like that. (laughs) So uh, uh, lesson learned, but, uh, you know, that that plastic, it does what we call depolymerizing, which means basically it just gets brittle. So uh, not too surprising, but I don't think it's really affected the content. So I doubt that you'll have to go out and, uh, and buy any more immediately. The one thing I will, the one observation I will make uh, is that if it stayed in a bottle that long, you're probably not using enough of it. You're probably not using it often enough. So uh, manage your waste a little bit there and uh, and don't leave it, uh, you know, get it on your plants where it does some good. All right. Well, thank you so much. Have a great day. You do the same, Penny. Thank you. All right, it's 8.30, so I guess that'd be a real good time for me to get another quick break in here, and then we'll be right back to more phone calls. Get to talk to you about another great uh, company that's relatively new to the Garden Show, but so happy to have met these people. Actually, down at the Herb Market is where I I met Troy and the staff from uh, Swift River Pecans. Uh, Now, they're not down at the Pearl right now. They're simply too busy with all the things you do when you have acres and acres when you have hundreds and hundreds of pecan trees. Swiffer Pecans is pretty much busy year-round. Now, uh, they do have uh, a number of things that I I did want to be sure and let you know about. Uh, They do have containerized pecan trees to sell. Pecan trees they've grafted themselves. Lots of different varieties. All of them very good pecan trees for our area. So if you're looking for a good source of uh, pecans already in pots, uh, Swift River will have those for you. If you have that bag of pecans that you picked up, you haven't gotten around to shelling, they can crack them for you. I don't know if you've ever done this before, but it sure does make it easier to get the nut meats out of the shell. And of course, if you are not aware, these guys have incredible pecan lumber. They harvest trees that have fallen. Uh, they don't cut down live trees, but they harvest uh, they harvest dead pecan trees, two sawmills, and they turn that wood into some of the most amazing things you've ever seen. Big thick slabs would make a wonderful mantle, would make a wonderful countertop, and then thinner wood that could be used for making furniture or 
uh, siding or cabinets or whatever. If you're a woodworker, you know how hard it is to find good quality wood at a reasonable price. Well, the wood doesn't get much better than our state tree, the pecan tree, and I don't think you're going to find anywhere in Texas has the selection of woods that Swift River Pecans does. Go to the website and check it out. You can even see their sawmills at work. Uh, give them a call if you have questions. They also welcome your visit. They're over, uh, they're about uh, midway between uh, San Marcos and uh, uh, let's see, be San Marcos and Luling over there. On, I don't remember that highway number, uh, but that's where their orchards and their mills are. And uh, just visit them online, too, though, because they sell a lot of fine things. I don't know how their supply is right now on pecans, but they sell wonderful, delicious pecans and pecan oil. Just a lot of good reasons to visit SwiftRiverPecans.com. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. Don's letting me know that Dan, Mark, and Robert are my next three callers. And uh, we start with Dan. Good morning, Dan. Good morning. <clears throat> I uh, live in the Encino morning, Park sir. area. Yeah, can you hear me? I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, I live fine, in the Encino Park you. area. And... Uh, uh-huh. I had a I had a uh, ash tree that was probably over thirty years old, and I think the freeze took the rest of it out. So I went ahead and and I had cut it down, but my f- house faces total west, and I need a replacement tree. Okay. And I was just kind of wondering, what would be a good tree for this area that would be a semi fast growing tree? I mean, I know all trees aren't going to just grow overnight, so. Well, there are parts of Encino Park that have good deep soil, there are parts of Encino Park that have zero soil, and there are parts that have some soil mixed with rock. How would you describe your growing situation? Uh, If I run a pick into my yard, I hear a bing. (laughs) That's probably about (laughs) four inches. How big? Let me ask you this. Yeah, how how big was that ash tree when it uh, it gave up? How, How thick through was the trunk? Uh, it's probably about two and a half feet across okay. from that tells the me stuff that, that's left. Yeah, that, that, that tells me that those roots found plenty of good dirt to grow in. Uh, best tree that I can suggest to you as far as fast growth, probably 50, 60-year tree, uh, would be a Mexican sycamore. And that tree's going to produce, um, I mean, it's going to grow in a big hurry. Uh, we've got a couple of them here at the nursery that were planted about 12 years ago that are 50 feet tall. And uh, they were decent shade trees by the third year. So that's that's going to be my top pick for you. And like I say, on average, uh, Mexican sycamore is going to give you good 40, 50, 60 years of uh, uh, wonderful shade and very few problems other than that they they do shed big old leaves and they have some little kind of furry seed balls they will drop sometimes. Uh, The only negative and uh, you know in a residential yard it's not really a negative uh, but the Mexican sycamore will need a little bit uh, more water than some other trees might. I mean, if you look where they grow natively, it's long creek banks and river banks and things like that. But it's not it's not a water hog as far as that goes. But it, you just it's not like an oak tree that can go for ten years without rain and probably still do okay. You will have to water it in a dry period. You'll have to water it every three or four weeks. But if you're looking for the fastest growth, good quality um, tree, then I'm I'm going to put Mexican sycamore at the top of the list. 
if you say, well, I want something that's going to live 100 years, then I might look at what we call a Mexican live oak or white uh, oak. It's uh, faster growing than a regular live oak. And uh, another moderately fast-growing, good-quality tree is a cedar elm. But if I were you, I'd plant at least one Mexican sycamore so you get some shade very quickly. And then if you want to plant a couple of others to go along with it that will be there for your great-grandkids, you can certainly do that too. But Mexican sycamore is going to be my first choice. Is a Mexican oak, is that the same as a Mexican white oak? or? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Quercus polymorphus is a botanical name. It's called a Monterey oak, Mexican live oak, Mexican white oak. Those are all good names for it. Uh, I will tell you, I'm looking out the back window of uh, Shades of Green right now over toward the parking lot, and I'm looking at a uh, at a Mexican sycamore that's probably close to 50 feet tall, and I'm looking at a Mexican white oak that's about 25 feet tall, and those trees were planted at exactly the same time. Uh, Mexican white oak is a beautiful tree, but it's half the size of the Mexican sycamore. Okay. All right. I appreciate your time. And keep in mind, let me tell you one more thing. You probably already know this, but a good reminder is that... um, in in a situation like that, you have to be careful in digging a hole for your tree that you don't create a bathtub. Probably the most important thing you do is when you dig the hole for your new tree, fill it with water and be sure all that water drains out within a few hours. Sometimes when you're sitting, you know, in just pure rock like that, I've known people that took a jackhammer and just made this nice big bathtub out there, uh, but the the trees have to drain. We made that mistake here at the nursery when we first opened. We didn't know that we have very poorly draining soil, and we planted a couple of good-sized live oaks that probably folded up and died. So what we did, we came back with trees. We actually put the ball of the tree on top of the ground and built up a raised bed around the tree just to be sure that in uh, this soil, and at the time we had a very high water table, that's gone away since then. But uh, uh, if you can't dig a decent hole that drains well, remember you can always build up a nice little decorative bed to put your tree in, and that way you can get a little bit larger tree if you choose. I, I'd try to get at least a 15-gallon tree because uh, that, that's going to, like I say, it's going to give you some shade by the second or third year. Okay. All right. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you, Dan. Uh, Mark is up next. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, sir. How are you doing? I'm off to a good start. How about you today? Pretty good, pretty good. had a good. couple of questions. Um, so before, well, the freeze had happened, and I had a whole bunch of milkweed plants um, mm-hmm. die back. And when I went out there, there was a bunch of uh, monarch butterfly caterpillars, and I had taken those caterpillars um and put them in like a little, like a type of greenhouse uh, situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the thing is, they have no no food, no milkweed because it's all frozen. Uh, do you know what else they might be able to eat to help um, them progress? Unfortunately, uh, there are not a lot of things that serve as a larval food for them. Uh, some other caterpillars, like black swallowtails, they like everything from parsley to fennel to dill. But the monarchs uh, are pretty selective in, you know, in what they can feed on. I would suggest if you want to give these guys the best shot, 
uh, either go to a nursery and uh, some of the nurseries will probably still have in their greenhouses will have a milkweed of one sort or another and uh, you know just get one in a pot let them uh, forage on it and then you can plant it out after we get beyond the danger of a hard freeze or you might look around the neighborhood someone may have had uh, some milkweed in a protected area uh, that didn't freeze as badly and you can go take some cuttings off of that stick the little stems down in a little tube of water or something like that so they'll last a week or so and you can put that in with your little uh, butterfly hatcher as it was but uh, you need uh, you need to try to find the milkweed either some you can harvest and put in water for them or like I say you may be able to find a plant or two that uh, um, you could just grow inside there with them and then have another plant to put out next spring. Now, your plants that froze, they probably are not going to come back, but if they made seed pods, and they frequently do, you may very well have a bunch of them come up from seed this next year. You may not have to buy any more, uh, but worst case scenario, I'd try to find a nursery that has some milkweed that was in a greenhouse, go ahead and get it, let the caterpillars eat it, and then you'll have those plants to set out when it warms up a bit. Okay, that sounds like a good idea. And then uh, my second question, um, so I, what is the best variety of asparagus to grow uh, in our area? I live out here in uh, Atkins. Live out where? In uh, Atkins. In Atkins, okay. My yes. favorite is still one of the old-time varieties. It's called Mary Washington. And they have come up with a lot of additional asparagus varieties, and I have not seen one that I thought was really superior. So I think most of what you're going to find, and by the way, most nurseries will have a good supply of, of asparagus right now, but I still think Mary Washington's one of the best asparagus you can plant, and you shouldn't have that much trouble finding it. Uh, there's another one called Jersey Giant that some people like. Uh, but, you know, I like the I like the Mary Washington because it makes a medium-sized stem. It doesn't make that big old thick stem that can get pithy. Uh, it's, gosh, it's long-lived. My oldest plants are probably 30 years old and still producing. So uh, that's that would be my first choice. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll look for that, and I'll uh, give that a shot. I appreciate your help, sir. It's always a pleasure. And remember, on asparagus now, uh, you don't get a whole lot off of one plant. If you like asparagus, I would plant a minimum of a couple of dozen plants or more because uh, the asparagus is uh, is just so wonderful and tasty. But uh, even once your plants are mature, you're only going to get uh, a spear off of each plant every two or three days. So plant yourself as big an asparagus patch as you have room for, and you'll be the envy of everybody else around. And uh, when you get it, when you get ready to plant, call me back, and I'll give you full instructions then. All right. I appreciate that, sir. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you, Mark. Goodbye. All right, let's get a break in here. Robert's going to be up next, but right now I get to talk to you about David's Garden Seeds. And gosh, I love talking about David's Garden Seed. I've I've known David for quite a few years now. I think we first met at maybe one of the festival flowers get together. Dave's a, a good guy, Army veteran. I love veterans, you know, that have that have served our country well, and David certainly has. And now he has one of the neatest businesses I've ever seen, and he is expanding and growing that business constantly. 
constantly. He is dedicated to producing and having as many different kinds of garden seed as possible. Currently, he's up to over 2,000 varieties. He's into growing as much of his own seed as possible, which he does right down south of San Antonio. And, uh, you know, that means you're getting local seed from plants that grew here. You know they are well adapted for our area. And talk about variety. He's got over 100 varieties of tomatoes. He's got 80 varieties of beans. He's got herbs. He's got flowers. Just about every vegetable you can imagine. And the other thing I love is that he puts his seed in reasonable size packages for the homeowner. Now, if you're getting ready to plant 10 acres, no, you don't want to go see David for your garden seed. But if you're wanting to plant in your own home garden, the nice thing about it is instead of being forced to buy a big supply of one variety, you know, you can get a fair number of seed of 15 different varieties for the same money and you'll end up with a, a lot more, a much more interesting garden. You know, he welcomes you to come down and see him. Uh, they, you know, have tours regularly. They have places you can take some great selfies. They can even host uh, small parties or weddings or whatever. But it's just fun to see all the raised beds where he produces so much of the seed. See that big greenhouse where he produces a lot of seed in the winter months. It's called David's Garden Seed. You don't have to go down there. You can go online. You can go to davidsgardenseed.com, get full information. If you want to order off the website, you can. Or he welcomes your call at 210-502-3797. That's David's Garden Seed. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, let's get back to gardening. You know how busy those phone lines get a little bit later in the show? Don tells me we have a couple of open lines right now. So if you want to go ahead and grab one, it'll be a real good time to dial uh, 599-5555. While I say good morning to Robert. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Bob. How are you today? Uh, Again, it's a very different day from yesterday, and I like this one a lot better. Blue sky and uh, and calm seas, as the sailors would say. Those those leaves still hanging on the trees out there, barely even barely even moving this morning. So it's going to be a beautiful day. Oh yeah, I think I I picked up a ton of Mexican sycamore leaves yesterday in front of my garage. (laughs) Well, make some good mulch. Yeah, that's what happens with the big trees. Yep. Yes, sir. So I'm not sure if I stumbled across something new. It's new to me uh, or just old news, and I don't pay enough attention. Have you ever heard of a product, a pest control product called Antex Plus? Ant, A-N-T-I-X-X Plus? Uh, That's a new one on me. Does it say what the active ingredient is? Well, can can I lead up to that? (laughs) <laughs> this, is the, this is the surprising thing, Bob. It's okay. labeled for ants, including uh-huh. Texas Leaf Cutter. Oh, wow. It, ex- it specifically exclu- excludes fire ants, harvester ants, feral, and carpenter ants. But it's, it includes Texas Leaf, cutter ants, leaf Cutting Ants. Wow. It's the, I, it's the same exact product as Sluggo Plus. It's the oh, same really? EPA oh. registration number. Yes, sir. Well, that's... So, I know we always struggle. I've never had leaf cutting ants, but I hear you talk about them a lot. People call right. in, and I know there's a difference in harvester and leaf cutting. Right. But I would, I think it'd be worth having somebody try Sluggo Plus. Well, I... Leaf cutting ants. Yeah, I, I, that would be, uh, that would be a great thing. You know, the... 
the thing with uh, the active ingredient in Slogo Plus, of course, is spinosad. And the, the, what the problem is, is putting it on a bait that ants like. And that's why they put it on uh, on a bait specific to uh, fire ants and cut ant and uh, harvester ants, uh, and they call that "come and get it." They put it, uh, you know, on Sluggo Plus. They're not trying to kill the ants; they're trying to kill the snails and slugs. So they put it uh, with iron phosphate, uh, and uh, between the two things, it gets them under control. But I've um, I, I've never heard of using or, or heard of finding it in a form that was attractive to the leafcutter. So, man, I, next time it's I get that formula, question. Bob, it's, it's, it's the iron phosphate is the, is the active ingredient along with the really? snowsid. Huh. And the, the, I'm looking at the, I, 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 I'm more termite related, but I helped sure. a buddy of mine uh, who is recovering from COVID with his small pest control company. Uh-huh. And he had a customer I was helping him service. He said they had leaf cutting ants last time I was out there over by the river in Seguin. Uh-huh. And he said, there's some Antex in the truck. Use it. And I thought, well, that's funny. I didn't know there was anything for leaf cutting ants. And then I read the damn label and I said, wait a minute, that label looks awfully familiar. <laughs> and it's, 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 it's Omni list, Omri listed. I mean, it's the uh-huh. same product. It's the same EPA registration number. Well, so, uh, and like I say, because it excludes, it excludes the things that come and get it. Take maybe mm-hmm. the iron phosphate doesn't dissuade common ants. I, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're genius level to me. You're telling me something I've not heard, and you took the time to research the Omri to look at the label and see what it was. That's that's fascinating to me, Robert. I have not heard of that, but believe me, I certainly will follow it up. And there are probably about 10,000 people out there that are taking notes right now because uh, uh, the leaf-cutting ants are a real problem over in East Texas. The paper companies and the lumber companies have spent millions of dollars trying to find a way to control them. And if it's that easy, uh, man, that's going to make a lot of people's lives a lot easier. So you're a great guy to not only research it and find out, but to share it with everybody you're sharing it with this morning, and I do appreciate it. Well, anytime the the student can inform the master, it's a good day. <laughs> well, you're kind to say that, and uh, it's it's always a pleasure. So uh, um, keep keep your eyes and ears open, and report back. And if you if you have friends or if you find that you need it yourself i don't i'm I'm blessed that i don't have leaf cutting ants right up around my home or my barn or anywhere mine are all somewhere out in the pasture and i tend to leave them alone but uh next time i come across a a mound i may just uh, give it a try to see see if it works as well as promised but uh and and you said the name that this is sold under, although it may not be on a on a homeowner shelf, is Antex. It's A N T A X X. No, A N T I X X plus. But it's it's virtual. I looked at it. It A N T I X X. Very good. Well, I'm but it's the same. You might as well just. It's the same price as Sluggo Plus. I yeah, looked. Yeah. You know. So it, you might as well just buy the Sluggo Plus. It's the exact. Well, mainly because it's the same EPA registration number. It's got to be uh-huh. the same product. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah. 
Oh, this is very interesting. I'm making a note on uh, my little piece of paper. I, I always start uh, with things to talk to Howard Garrett about next week. I'm sure he'll be very interested in hearing this. And so, uh, again, many thanks, and you get out and enjoy okay. this little bit calmer day. I'm going to, sir. Appreciate thanks, it. you as always. Thank Bye. you, sir. And goodbye. All right. Um, I'll tell you what, uh, just have about two minutes here till news time, so why don't we go ahead and just talk about a couple of things. Uh, remember, fertilizing, if you haven't fertilized in the past 90 days, this is an ideal time to do it. I know the synthetic guys that producing all that synthetic chemical fertilizer, they don't want you to put the product out now, and they shouldn't because it's just going to sit there and probably wash away and cause other problems. But the beauty of organic fertilizers is they actually bind to the soil through this product that we call cation exchange, and uh, it's a great time to put out your organic fertilizers because your plants will use a bit of it now. It will actually increase their cold hardiness. They will store a great deal of it to make that strong burst of growth we're all looking forward to in a month or two. And the rest of it won't wash away. It will stay there in the soil until the plants need it. So that's why we, we encourage people to fertilize in January. And uh, of course, you know, there are a bunch of different good organic dry fertilizers out there. Same thing applies to the liquid fertilizers as well, but they don't do any good in the bag or bottle. So if you haven't fed things, if you haven't fed your landscape in the past uh, couple of months, you might want to do that immediately. Your things in containers, if you haven't fed them uh, in the past month, that would be a great activity for this afternoon. Uh, other things, it's cold enough now that uh, it's a great time to go thin out those peach trees and plum trees. Do not thin your apples and pears. You'll create a situation where you're likely to have fire blight. But if you're growing peaches or plums, it's very important for the health of the trees and for the fruit production to go through the tree and thin it out. You don't just cut the trees back. I mean, the first year that you have a fruit tree like that in the ground, you probably want to trim it to shape it. But every year after that, you go through and thin it out. Uh, plum trees probably 60%, peach trees 40 to 50%. That may sound uh, extreme, but that's what it takes to keep the bigger in the trees and to give you the maximum number of quality fruits. I mean, you don't want a bunch of little golf ball sized peaches. You want some nice big peaches. You want top quality, and it all comes down single most important thing you do is uh, the thinning on those trees and you do it at this time of year like I said other than taking dead wood out do not prune your pears or your apples because this crim stimulates a uh, soft succulent growth that is in very susceptible bacterial fire blight which you really don't want to get started in your orchard South Texas gardening with Bob Webster is on the air talk to Bob now 210-599-5555 and we head back to gardening and back to the phone calls on a beautiful Sunday morning out there. Next three callers are Billy and Tony and Megan. Billy's up first, so good morning, Billy. Good morning, Bob. How are you doing today? Uh, it's off to a good start. Absolutely beautiful morning out there. It sure, it sure is. I had a quick question. Um, over the holidays, I had uh, fried up some turkeys. And I got yes, all that extra, uh, leftover turkey uh, uh, oil, or not turkey oil, the uh, peanut oil. Sure. Is that stuff safe to put on the uh, compost pile? Absolutely. I would, uh, you know, I'd, I would spread it around. I wouldn't just put it out there in a big lump, maybe, you know, pour a bit of it on and then mix up your compost a little bit and then pour a little bit more on. There's absolutely nothing in there that would be harmful. 
Uh, the only issue that you could have, and I don't know if you're in town or out in the country, uh, but you might find things like possums or raccoons or things like that or interested in it, not so much because it's a good peanut oil, but because of... Uh, uh, some of the some of the turkey things that uh, wound up in there. So my my only real issue would be the potential of some varmints coming in, uh, but there's certainly nothing there that's going to harm harm your compost long term. It's just going to add some additional uh, sources of organic material. Okay, perfect. That's all I need. I appreciate your help. Have a great day. You do the same, Billy. Appreciate the call. Thank you, sir. Ah, uh, next up will be Tony. Good morning, Tony. Good morning, Bob. Good How are morning, you? sir. Hey, um, I mentioned this to you before. I've got a pasture hayfield, coastal, right. and I cover cropped it uh, with radishes and a few other things. My thought is uh, the radishes came up really good this time because of all the warm weather. Yes, sir. So I'm thinking I should probably go ahead and cut it so that the radish part rots so the roots can grow for the Okay. I I think if you're looking for an excuse to get on the shredder, that's a good idea. But I I don't think it's really necessary because uh, you know those radishes, the longer they have to grow, uh, the more organic material they're going to produce, the more biomass, so to speak, they're going to create. And um, I, I think it's a very good thing to have done. Uh, they're not like legumes; they don't add as much nitrogen to the soil. But you're you're building biomass, so that that's a good thing, but uh, I, I think it's strictly up to you whether you want to shred it or whether you want to, you know, leave it till early spring to shred. I don't think it's going to make a whole lot of difference to the good quality hay you're going to grow this year. Okay, then uh, then I'll leave it because I don't want to spend the gas. But uh, but I did the cover crop is like four different varieties of things to uh, uh-huh. a lot of clover to add nitrogen. So, but uh, okay, I was just worried about the the radish rotting and yeah. allowing the roots of the Bermuda to uh, to go go crazy okay good Uh, thank you well you're certainly welcome and uh doing a good job keep keep records and uh just you know record your observations and your notes and uh cover cropping is is something that everyone should be doing and uh uh, as you i'm sure have found out there are a lot of different possibilities and uh i think once you've done it once you will very definitely keep on doing it so keep notes and keep the rest of us posted on what you have the best results with and uh again always thank you for sharing thank you bob my pleasure thank you sir bye okay next up is megan good morning good morning megan Good morning to you. Can you hear me okay? Loud and clear. Okay. Uh, First thing I want to do is highly praise uh, Fred Morales. He (laughs) came over and put my clover seed out and Uh just spent time with me on the phone explaining. And because my husband passed away last year and I had all these things that he had wanted to put out. And Uh Fred just guided me through that. And it was fabulous. So I highly praise him and his company. Fred and his whole family. Fred is one of the most civically community organized or you know involved gentlemen that I have ever known. And uh, he's just you know he's a guy you can really think of as a friend as well as a guy that operates just a really great business. And of course he started out mainly as feed, but nowadays he does what you're describing. He does fertilizer application. He helps with planting. But uh, I'm in 100% agreement with you, and I'm not at all surprised that Fred has helped you in many, many different ways because it's just the way the 
man's put together, he and his whole family. Well, I really appreciated him. Uh, my next thing is um, I have uh, a lime tree and a kumquat, both in big pots, and I intend to leave them there. But how, do, how and when do I fertilize those? I would be fertilizing almost constantly, things in containers. You can put a little dry fertilizer on if you like, but I think most things in containers do best with a liquid fertilizer. Citrus trees are things that in nature grow year-round. Of course, uh, in our area, they're going to spend most of the winter growing roots, and they're going to do most of their top growth in the summer months. But I'd be using, and and Fred can get you this. He can get you the Medina has to grow in a five-gallon jug if you like. I alternate in my own greenhouse with a a variety of plants. I alternate between Medina's has to grow plant and their new liquid fish fertilizer. I would like to say I fertilize every two weeks, which is my intent, but unfortunately, as Steve Ramsey says, life happens and I don't always get around to it. But uh, I'd, I'd be using one of the liquid Medina products and I'd be aiming at doing it every two or three weeks if you can and your, your citrus will love you for it. Okay, perfect. Um, the other thing, so when I'm I'm trying to keep the vegetation away from the base of my trees, I'm working uh-huh. on getting the flare exposed and all that. So if I'm spraying orange oil, or, I mean, how careful do I have to be spraying that around the trunks of trees? If they're mature trees, not at all careful, because this is not something that's absorbed through the roots, and you're better to not soak the soil with a lot of orange oil and vinegar. All you're doing is coating the foliage with it. But any tree that has a rough bark, um, it's not going to even know what you're doing. I mean, we spray it up and down the trunks of trees that have poison ivy growing on them, or we want to kill other vegetation trying to climb up the trunk. So I'm going to tell you, worry not on that one. Now, if it was a very young tree that still had the soft, smooth bark, uh, what I do when I'm spraying in a situation like that is I just keep my, you know, a spray wand in one hand and my, uh, a uh, piece of cardboard in the other hand, and I'll just put the cardboard up against the bottom of the shrub or tree or whatever and spray all the weeds and, and just get a minimal amount. But if uh, if trees are big enough to actually have a woody bark on them, uh, you don't need to do anything to try to protect them. Uh, it's not going to hurt them one bit. Okay, and, and that will keep how long in my sprayer, a mix of that? I would not mix, mix any more than you that. need. Yeah, I would okay. not mix any more than you need, and it's not not so much that uh, that the spray mix is going to be a problem, but that vinegar will eat the seals out of your sprayer. Okay. Uh, you okay. want to be sure that you empty that sprayer between times and run some good uh, clean water through there, uh, so that your so that your sprayer <laughs> lasts on and on and on. Yeah. Vinegar's vinegar's great stuff if you're trying to get rid of calcium and various other things, but it's a little hard on uh, on rubber seals as well. So just mix what you need and then rinse thoroughly. Okay. And my last question: When do I trim mountain laurels? I have some that are just about four feet tall. And I, I'm deciding, maybe you can help me, or is it just a matter of aesthetics, whether I want a single trunk or, you know, the way they are now, they, uh, I still think it's single, but there's branches along the trunk. Sure. Um, well, if you, if you decide to prune, the time to prune is right as they finish flowering, which is typically going to be end of February, something like that. 
Um, I more highly recommend growing them as a multi-trunk bush because, uh, again, I've lived around here a long time and I've got hundreds, of, more likely thousands, of mountain laurels growing on my property. And I remember an ice storm or two. And when that happens, uh, things that have grown up with mainly one trunk, they're many times just shredded and down on the ground. Things with multiple trunks tend to hold up to storm damage much, much better. And uh, if you need to do a little bit of just, you know, random pruning around the edges and things like that just to keep them from encroaching on the driveway or the sidewalk or whatever else, feel free to do that. But a, uh, a, a single trunk uh, Mount Laurel is going to be just much more susceptible to storm damage, whether it's a thunderstorm or an ice storm. So I, I like it growing as a multi-trunk tree. But again, that's strictly your choice. But whatever pruning you do, enjoy those beautiful flowers and then prune immediately afterwards. Okay. And that made me think of when do I trim firebush and esperanza? Firebush is uh, almost certainly frozen all the way to the ground. If it didn't freeze last week, it's probably going to freeze this week. So you can cut it back anytime you'd like because the top of it is basically frozen and dead and develop a lot of patience. I always say on firebush that uh, it comes back two weeks after you give up on it. In my garden, it's the last perennial to come back out. So don't don't give up on it. It's gonna, it, it will be back out. Now, Esperanza is a different story because... Uh, you don't really know how far back the Esperanza froze. My feeling is it probably most Esperanza that was exposed, maybe the top third, at most maybe the top half is frozen. Uh, if you just want to have a more compact plant, you can go ahead and cut it down to six inches tall. You're not really going to hurt anything. But if you want the biggest plant possible, you're going to have to wait until it starts to bud out, till it starts to put on its first new growth in the spring. And then you look at the trunk. If uh, that trunk's six feet tall and you see it starting to bud at two feet, well, cut it just above that point. If you see it starting to bud at three feet, cut it just above that point. Because that's the only thing that's really going to tell you which part of the trunk froze which part of the trunk is still intact and uh, like I say if you want to go ahead and cut it way back you can but if you want a bigger plant this year need to wait till it starts to come out and then just you know cut it back just above where it's starting to sprout okay well thank you very much for your help and you have a good day you do the same and thank you for your good questions always good to hear thank from you. you thank you bye-bye bye all right uh let's see here let's talk for a minute uh Gosh, they're just, uh, we have so many wonderful sponsors on this show. I get to talk to you about, uh, at this point, I'm going to do the Cedar Eater of Texas because I just, you know, they, those folks have done so much to improve the hill country, so much to just get your land reclaimed from that cedar. Cedar, or what we call cedar is ash juniper, it just it, it does so many bad things when you get that dense second growth there. It keeps the sunlight from ever getting to the soil, which keeps your native grasses from growing, keeps your wildflowers from growing. It's The structure of its leaves is such that when it does rain, you know, most of our rains in this part of the country are fairly light. First half inch of rain never makes it through the cedar to the ground underneath. It stays hung up in the foliage. Well, the Cedar Eater is the one company out there that can clear acres and acres of cedar in a single day in a very environmentally friendly fashion with no burning and no bulldozing. You protect your land while you improve your land when you let the Cedar Eater do the work for you. These guys have been at it for many, many years. The Cedar Eater has, uh, oh gosh, they've done work for the farm. 
Forest Service. They've done work for the Highway Department. They've done work for Parks and Wildlife and many, many homeowners, farmers, and ranchers. Now, if you just got a tiny little half acre, no, that's probably not going to be worth calling Cedar Eater because it takes some time and effort to transport that machine. But if you've got a few acres and you want the job done overnight, you just give the Cedar Eater of Texas a call. They also have a machine that can take down big trees that may have died from the freeze or from oak wilt. You may have a machine that will take care of mesquite. Lots of great services from one great company. Give them a call, 210-745-2743. That's 210-745-2743 for the Cedar Eater of Texas. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster, News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. Well, Don tells me we've got a completely open slate up there. I know people have a, a lot to do, and, uh, you know, some mornings were just uh, wall-to-wall phone calls. But, uh, again, if you've been calling getting a busy signal, it would be uh, probably a very easy time for you to get through. You know the number, 210-599-5555. Lots of things to talk about this morning. And um, I, I think one thing that I did want to mention, because we are anticipating, uh, if you believe the Weatherman, and uh, we have to at least <laughs> at least be prepared for what they say is going to happen. We are looking for a pretty cold blast hitting the hill country on down into San Antonio, probably about equivalent to what we got last week, and we all know how damaging uh, that freeze was last week because it followed so much uh, warm weather. And once again, it looks like uh, early this next week, we're going to have wonderful, beautiful days in the 70s, and then come about Thursday morning or so, we're going to be back into the mid to low 20s. We'll wait till little bit closer to uh, you know to the time that it actually happens before we really figure exactly what to do but one of the most important things you need to do before it gets cold is water 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 very very thoroughly because the ground is dry and plants that have adequate moisture will suffer a lot less freeze damage and this means on things like your trees and shrubs your deep-rooted plants uh, this doesn't mean just give them a little bit of a sprinkle this means give them a thorough watering it will help them through the cold and it will also help them a whole lot when it comes time next month to start putting on all that new growth just remember the sprinkler system has to be cut off before the cold weather hits uh, spraying warm water and and the water comes out of the ground is going to be <laughs> warmer than uh, than the air is going to be but spraying that warm water on frozen foliage makes a little cells just totally explode you'll always be able to tell who forgot to shut their automatic system off because uh, when uh, spring comes around <laughs> those plants will have no foliage whatsoever on the plant up to the height that the water hit but do water very very thoroughly uh, anything that you may have cut back I know I've trimmed back some uh, perennials and things like that would not be a bad idea at all to put an inch or two of mulch or compost or something like that over them uh, and if it gets to you know what they're forecasting we're going to be close to 20 in the hill country we're probably going to be more like 25 here in san antonio but uh um that's and that's enough that uh that we could have some cosmetic damage probably not real severe damage but it's going to be enough you probably want to bring your citrus trees in wrap them up if you can't bring them in but above all just uh give them give them a good drink this week before it hits it looks like we've got donna and uh liz and and angie wanting to talk so maybe we'll come back with more discussion in a while but uh right now let's go back to the phone lines and donna's up first good morning donna Hi Bob. Hi there. I live out at Bert I live out at Bergheim and I was late getting my onions out, but yep. I have them now. Is it okay to go ahead and put those out now? 
I would probably be prepared to cover them um, if okay. it, you know, uh, again, Bergheim, in fact, it was Bergheim forecast I was looking at just a minute ago. I think they're showing 23 one morning and 24 the next morning. That probably would not bother them, but if the weathermen foul up like they frequently do and it turns out to be 18 or 19, uh, that could be a problem. I'm going to wait to plant mine. Uh, well, I've already got a bunch of them in, but uh, I'm going to go back and plant more. Uh, but I'm going to wait until after this little cold spell. If you do decide to go ahead and put them out, just one layer of insulator, row cover over them should be fine. So the choice is just up to you. And if I waited to put some of them out, would they keep just fine? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. It, uh, you want to, don't, don't water them. Uh, they want to okay. be relatively dry, and uh, that that little bunch of onions, um, I think ideally I wouldn't try to save it more than two weeks, but uh, they, they'll they okay. do just fine, just like they are. If you wait and plant them about next Sunday or so, about a week from today, it should be perfect. Okay, and I was going to thank you for the idea of the freeze miser. My husband and I bought those, and they work great. Aren't they amazing? You know, it's it's just, uh, and it's not something, it's not like AT&T or some giant Microsoft corporation or whatever that mm-hmm. came up with this. It's a couple of engineers uh, who live over just south of Seguin, and just, I I just love clever people that come up with neat things, and uh, I, it's one of the most amazing things that I've ever seen, and uh, my business partner lives just north of you up there, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, she says the same thing. Uh, there are literally hundreds of people that just kind of stand there and say, wow, those things work a lot better than I ever dreamed they would, so I'm sure glad they work for you, Donna. Well, thank you, Bob, you have a good day. You do the same. Thank you. Yeah, Goodbye. All right, uh, is it Luce or is it Liz? Good uh, morning. It, morning, it's uh, Liz. Very good. Liz, how can I help you today? Uh, just two quick questions. I guess one is um, I have a, a Satsuma orange uh, that's probably been in the ground maybe a, a couple of years. Uh-huh. Um, but it's got, um, it's got curly leaf pretty bad. Uh-huh. And so I was wondering, is there any what should I do with it? Uh, water it, fer- it, fertilize it, uh, water it, take good care of it. Every every citrus tree out there has, you know, some curl to the leaves, which is just the result of changing humidity and all the wind. Now, look at it carefully. If you see some little whitish insects uh, around, there is uh, some citrus scale around. There are some. Uh, uh, there can be some little insects that can cause the leaves to curl. Uh, if you find those, spinosad soap is what I usually use to control them, two or three sprayings about a week apart. But just the curling of the leaves, that's just something that citrus do when the weather behaves like it has this spring or this winter and almost every winter. I wouldn't worry about the curl at all. I would just look at those leaves and be sure you don't see any insects on there. Okay, because I, I guess I read once that it might have been leaf miner, but I don't know if that's... No, um, no. Le- no. Okay. leaf miners are interesting things, and citrus very definitely do get leaf miners. But the leaf miner is an interesting little, oh, it's kind of like a, 
it's kind of like a, a moth or a fly it lays its egg on the leaf and the egg hatches and its larval state eats its way into the leaf and it just eats its way back and forth and back and forth inside the leaf it actually leaves leaves behind what looks like a little road map uh, of trails but as far as doing a lot of damage no leaf miners uh, they're not something I would worry about uh, and they're certainly not anything that's going to cause your leaves to curl uh, it's interesting is there's a natural little wasp that controls them and uh, years ago I was at a Disney studio and uh, uh, where they were doing some of their usual wonderful photography and they actually had photography of this little tiny wasp maybe oh, three sixteenths of an inch long and it's just marching back and forth on top of the leaf on top of the leaf and somehow it could sense where inside the leaf the leaf miner was and at that point it sticks its uh, it's called the ovipositor down into it lays an egg inside of the leaf miner which kills it so they're interesting little creatures but they're absolutely nothing to worry about and they're not what's what's causing your leaves to curl i doubt if you have anything more than uh you know just a windy day and uh the kind of weather we've had to blame for the curling leaves and the leaves should come back out flat and totally normal here in another month or six weeks okay um and then um but I, what kind of soap did you say to put on there and that's only if i saw little white bugs yeah if you see little white it'll be little white specks you unless you get a good magnifying glass you won't actually see the bug itself but it'll be little white and some little darker colored uh specks but it's become my kind of go-to spray for vegetable citrus and almost everything else but it's called spinosad s-p-i-n-o-s-a-d uh, it first came out just as Spinosad a couple of years ago. It's a natural product. It's safe for people, safe for pets. And then somebody came up with the great idea of blending it with insecticidal soap. And then, of course, they changed the name to Spinosad Soap. And uh, it's I probably use that uh, almost exclusively with a few different insect pests that show up in the greenhouse or, you know, on the vegetable plants. It's just a great product. You can buy it in a sprayer that's, you know, all ready to just squeeze and go. You can buy it in a sprayer that's ready to put on the end of the hose if you've got a big area. Or you can buy a concentrate and mix your own. But it's called Spinosad Soap, and it is wonderful. Okay. Um, and then... Um if now should i wait to fertilize just just keep it watered right now when when do we fertilize the satsumas any time after I go off the air today, about 12 minutes, five minutes after 12 would be just fine. Now, this is actually a very, very, very good time to uh, fertilize when you're using organic products because they don't wash away. They bind to the soil chemically. It's a product we call cation exchange. And uh, your plants will go ahead and start using some of the nutrient uh, to grow better through the winter months, keep the root system active. They'll be storing some nutrients for spring growth. And the rest of it uh, just holds their binds in the soil until the plants are ready for it. So this is a great time to fertilize. Okay. And then just one last question. Um, do you know of a, a good solution? I've got for, uh, a lot of uh, sidewalk in the sidewalk tracks, like along the sidewalk. Um, mm-hmm. I've just got um, weeds that just, they just don't go away. And no. I'd rather not, I don't want to put Roundup or touch any of that kind of stuff. So I was wondering, do you know of something that would work um, that I could spray? And then, I don't know, I may have to refill them with some sort of compound. I don't know. Um, uh, is this a big area or a small area? Uh, it's, it's kind of a larger area. 
Okay. You know, it's just like a lot. Of, I'm on a corner, so like the sidewalks around the corner. Sure. Are, sure. Well, I was going to say, if it's a small area, you could use boiling water. Uh, (laughs) That works very, very well. If you want to mix up a spray, you can make your vinegar orange oil spray, which means taking a gallon of strong vinegar and adding about two ounces of orange oil, add a little bit of molasses, a little bit of dish soap to it. Uh, And I would, you want to wait until they have green leaves on it. Once the leaves turn brown like they are this time of year, uh, it's just a waste of time to spray anything. But when they start to turn green in the spring, your vinegar orange oil mix will totally kill them out and yet it'll be very safe for you and pets and for the rest of your yard it won't hurt a thing um, now again not everybody has one of these but I uh, used to know the people pretty well over at Cleaning Ideas and they sold a little steamer and people used it on their curtains and things like that for cleaning and it was one of the neatest little devices I've ever seen to actually get out there and parboil the weeds with your little with your little clothing steamer but um probably what most people would do is just your vinegar orange oil mix okay all right well i appreciate your time i appreciate your call thank you and you have a uh, have a wonderful uh, sunday ladies appreciate it angie hang on just a second got to get a break in here and then we will be back and you will be first i get to talk to you for a moment about my friends at medina seems like a <laughs> new and commercial for them because i was talking so much about them a minute ago with a caller but medina agriculture is just a great company producing a lot of natural and organic products i mean it all started with a couple of friends that got together wondered why the soil in their farms was so hard and what they could do about it without using a bunch of expensive chemicals that would mess the soil up well they got together added a different bunch of things to stimulate the microbial life and came up with what they call medina soil activator their soil softened their crops improved their yields got bigger well that was the beginning of medina agriculture today medina continues to make the soil activator in improved form as well they call medina plus which is soil activator plus extra liquid seaweed and in addition, gosh, so many different fertilizers, liquid fertilizers, dry fertilizer. Dry fertilizer, by the way, is fully certified organic for use. Uh, I mean, you can maintain your organic certification if you're into this commercially. And, of course, Medina makes products. Well, I don't even talk about a lot of their products. They make a wonderful uh, freshener, so to speak. Uh, it's called Medina Odor Control. They make uh, products for big farmers and ranchers, uh, you know, products you can spray on crops to help them actually navigate naturally absorb nitrogen from the air, just so many different things. But among the homeowner products, the fertilizers, the soil conditioners, and the many products they package like a wonderful liquid seaweed, a wonderful uh, orange oil. Medina makes quality products. If you see the name Medina on the bag or on the bottle, you know there's quality inside. Medina Agriculture, over 50 years right here in our own area from Medina. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening once again. And uh, Don tells me we've got uh, three lines open. So if you've been getting a busy signal, and that's what it seems like, the lines fill up and then all of a sudden they're open. Then they fill up and they're open. But right now would be a good time to dial, you know, the number 210-599-5555. And Angie is up right now. Good morning, Angie. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Um, my husband's about ready to go out and trim the peach and plum trees. Can he okay. also trim the grapevines at the same time? 
Yes, yes, it would be. Uh, that's one thing that thank you for bringing it up. You know, we don't really just trim them. What we do is go through and thin them out. But uh, it's very uh-huh. important to thin out your grapevines. In fact, we thin out grapevines sometimes up to 85%, 90% because they just don't need all that foliage. And you want to encourage more fruit production and uh, less you want, you know, uh, obviously good sugars right. and things like that. But thinning those grapevines out now is the perfect time of year to do it. Oh, good. So I'll get him on that. Yeah, so I just mainly have about three main stocks coming out, you think, from the grapes? You know, there are many different styles of pruning mm-hmm. on grapes, and it kind of depends on what they are supported on, and they've got all sorts of fancy names, the cordon system, the three-bud system and all. Uh, I would just, you know, tend to, what you want to do is just leave a few of the vines absolutely intact. Don't prune them at all. Others, you want to move the side shoots completely. Now, if you're into one of these fancy trellising systems and with some variety, varieties of grapes uh, you may want to do that you do cut them way back where you just leave a few buds but for just your general home uh, grapevine I just would go through and thin them out taking some of the side shoots all the way out I'll probably take out two-thirds of them and leave a third of them behind and you should get good grapes this year okay yeah mine are just leaning on a fence on our back yeah. fence in my garden <laughs> okay and the other thing was my asparagus ears are starting to pop up and uh-huh. I think that's great. I was wondering the time frame of when you stop picking and let it grow to ferns. You know, that's a great question, and uh, it, it's something I actually was going to talk about a little later in the show. But the thing about asparagus that so few people realize is that when you start harvesting your asparagus you take every shoot that comes up it seems like people are just getting into it oh i'm going to take a few and leave a few take a few and leave a few no when you start harvesting your asparagus you harvest every single shoot that comes up otherwise they will stop producing new shoots now how long you can continue that harvest will depend on how many years your plants have been in the ground. If this is uh, the second year in the ground, which really means the first year to harvest, uh, then you can probably pick everything that comes up for a month. If this is a uh, third year, it can probably be six weeks. If this asparagus uh, bed has been in for several years, uh, you can pick for eight or ten weeks or sometimes even longer. But just the, the more established, the more vigorous, the bigger the plants are, the longer the period of time you can keep harvesting. And then when you stop harvesting, you just completely stop, let them go to ferns, and wait for next year to do it again. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yes, it does. Yeah, this is only my um, second year in the ground, so I will just harvest everything and then just for about next to for a month then. Yeah, for about a month, and uh, you enjoy. And the one thing you once you start harvesting and enjoying, you probably want to go plant some more plants because very few people <laughs> really have a big enough asparagus patch. And the good news is, if you want to plant more, most of your nurseries have a a good stock of asparagus right now, and it's a perfect time to plant more if you like. Yeah, I look for those Mary Washington. I think the ones that Fanix had was UF some number after that. I don't yeah, remember the number. That's one of the University of California specials. I, you know, all asparagus is good. Just some of it's better than others. I want asparagus that produces dependably every year. I like a medium-sized asparagus. I don't want these big things that are three-quarters of an inch thick. Right. And uh, 
Uh, as you've probably heard me say before, and a lot of my asparagus never makes it out of the garden. A lot of my asparagus just gets snapped off and eaten really within good. about five yeah. seconds of the time I grab it. So uh, you just enjoy yeah, fixing it however you like. Yeah, I already. It was great. Yeah. I always put olive oil and lemon pepper, and I roast it. You're making me so hungry good. just just thinking about <laughs> it. And it's one of the healthiest things for your heart. Uh, there, there are more nutrients in asparagus than just almost anything else in the garden. So you're a very wise lady, and uh, maybe the asparagus is going to make it even better. I'll take that flattery. I like that a lot. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, it's absolutely accurate. Anything else I can help you with today? Oh, I think I just have some aphids on my celery in my greenhouse. I think that was the other thing. Yeah, get some spinosad soap. Uh, you can start okay. if you want to. Just take your hose and just kind of blast them off. Uh, the way the aphid is, it sinks its jaws into your celery to feed on it. And when you hit it with a blast of water, uh, the jaws stay in the celery and the rest of the body gets blown away. So oh, it kind of eliminates some which. <laughs> Is you know in sort of a sadistic way. There's a certain pleasure to that, but uh, on the other hand, if you if you want to be a little bit more gentle with it, spinosad soap is totally safe for you and very very effective in killing the aphids. Oh, great! And the last thing is my potatoes. I've cut them in half and I put them in rock phosphate. Is it too early? to put them in the ground <laughs> look into your crystal ball and tell me tell me what the weather's going to do uh, i typically you know i typically plant uh, uh first couple of weeks of february uh, but i'm up in the hill country if you're san antonio or south yeah, i'm in lytle you're in lytle it's it's yep. borderline but once you've cut them gosh you know, you might you might wait till after yeah. this uh, real cold weather they're forecasting for the end of the week and then plant. Potatoes can freeze back. They can come up and freeze back, and they'll still come out again. They can probably freeze a second time and still come out again. You just don't want them to happen over and over and over. So uh, if it were me, I'd probably, where you are, I'd wait a week and then go ahead and get them in the ground. Okay, thanks. Yeah, they made it. My crop last year made it through the snow, Mageddon. So, we'll <laughs> you're uh, you're a good but... potato grower as well as a good asparagus <laughs> grower. They were yummy. Thank you so yeah. much. It's my pleasure, Angie. Thank you for the call uh, this bye morning. Bye bye. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. All right, so my log says I get to talk to you about the freeze miser one more time, and uh, <laughs> I just love the praise that the freeze miser gets. Not just uh, those of y'all calling me and telling me how well they've worked for you, but people who really kind of, you might say, put the money, put their money where the praise is, because we've had so many people that bought a couple of them to try them out last year. They were so impressed that they've come back to put them on all their hydrants this year. Had a gentleman in this week from Marble Falls, and he said all of his neighbors watched him work and now they're sending him back to san antonio to pick up freeze misers for all of their hydrants the freeze miser is just a remarkable device that stops your pipes from freezing stops your hydrants from freezing on a short hose up to 25 feet uh it'll keep your hose from freezing too there are no batteries there are no wires Freeze Miser is designed with a special substance inside that when the water in the pipes reaches a certain temperature, 37 degrees as a matter of fact, well, they, this, this temperature causes this material to change consistency and to allow the hydrant to begin to drip. As soon as the water warms back up, it stops dripping. So it's the most efficient dripping system you can imagine. Doesn't use much water at all and turns itself off automatically. It's just an amazing device. 
tanks. Uh, a lot of us have them on our kettle water tanks as well. And the way you do that, you put a little Y connector on there, put the freeze miser on one side and your float valve on the other side. This protects the tank and any water that comes out the freeze miser collects right back in the tank. In fact, because it's a little bit warmer, it'll many times keep ice from forming. It's just a lot of different ways to use them. Just remember, you put them on and then you turn the water on so that the water can drip when the temperature gets of the water, not of the air, but the temperature of the water gets to the appropriate point, then they start dripping automatically and shut off automatically. It's called the Freeze Miser. You'll find them at good hardware stores. You'll find them at farm and ranch stores. You'll find them at good nurseries. You will not find them in the box stores, but uh, you can actually order online if you prefer it. Freeze Miser, M-I-S-E-R, freezemiser.com. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. All right, looks like this will be Frank and Leslie and Annette. Frank is up first. Good morning, Frank. How you doing, Bob? Off to a good start. How about yourself? Hey, uh, my grandpa had a friend of his. He said, as long as you weren't in jail or in the hospital, it was a good day. <laughs> uh, the one I like is uh, a, uh, a a good friend will bail you out of jail. A really good friend will be sitting next to you saying, damn, that was fun. <laughs> Your grandfather probably would have enjoyed that, too. So anyway, yeah, yeah. I'm with you. It's, uh, it's, it is a great day out there. Yeah, compared to yesterday, I'll tell you what, that was, oh. that was a bigger bear. Well, it just it just makes you appreciate the good days a little bit more, I think, and uh, it's sure a pretty one. I I'm not crazy about the fact that they're giving us a chance for some pretty pretty cold weather toward the end of the week, but we'll deal with that when and if it gets here. You bet. We'll take it as it comes. Always uh, good to hear your show, and we always try to turn other people on to your program. Well, we appreciate that. How can uh, I help you today? We saw something uh, Tuesday or Wednesday, and we were working at the cemetery. They had a water leak, and uh, the caretaker out there, while we were waiting for the glue to dry, you know, normally, you know, you walk around and you look at gravesites, gravestones. Oh, yeah. Fascinating. You know, yeah, and that's always intrigued me, the people. And we saw something there. There was a crepe myrtle that was about 20 feet tall. Mm-hmm. And it was structurally, it was beautiful. And I had never seen such a case of fire blight on a crepe myrtle of all things. Really? And yeah, it was, an, it was, I took pictures of it and everything and didn't know the variety of it because, you know, of course it wasn't blooming. And, right. uh, it was in the middle of, you know, two cradles of the graves mm-hmm. and apparently I guess a family member of that person had planted it years ago. Uh-huh. And he said he had not used any chemical fertilizer. Uh, he had not trimmed that thing. Uh, so what we were wondering was, is fire blight, I told him the best thing to do would get some whole ground cornmeal, mm-hmm. you know, and dump around the roots and maybe water it in, but uh, maybe get some garret juice and spray the whole thing down. But we didn't know if 
there was some process of doing that. Did we need to clean all that soot off of it, or is it dead? No, or no, no. What? and and what what you're seeing is actually not fire blight. It's the result of the crepe myrtle having aphids all over it, which is rather common, which is a sign of stress. Now, when you looked at that big crepe myrtle, does it have a big root flare? Does it? I mean, is the base of the trunk yeah. spread out oh, yeah. twice as? Okay. Yeah, it had a very nice root flare. Okay. Very, then then very probably you're out. just you're just looking at uh, at drought stress on that crepe myrtle because most, especially most rural cemeteries, you know, don't do much as far as watering. And when the uh, plants get stressed, they get some aphids on them. The aphids leave behind the sugary excrement, and then that black just totally covers them up. Uh, during the growing season, it ultimately washes off. Uh, right now, there's probably still some on the stems. If those crepe myrtles haven't lost their leaves yet, they're probably going to in the next week or two. And there's absolutely no reason to spray. There's absolutely no reason to do anything other than just fertilize, maybe put a little bit of lava sand around, which will help retain more moisture around it. But when that crepe myrtle comes out this spring, it should be totally beautiful, should be free of any problem. Uh, if you visit the area, you know, over the next growing season, just take a look each time and see if you uh, if you see any aphids. They'll be on the back of the leaves normally on the new growth. Uh, if you've got any young folks in the family, they might find it fun to release some ladybugs out there to help take care of it. Or you can do you can do whatever to control it. But what you're looking at is a a very temporary situation. It is not a serious situation as far as the crepe myrtle is concerned. So don't lose any sleep over it. This plant's going to be just fine. But um, uh, anything that you can do to help reduce the stress on it, like say a little lava sand, might be a good thing. Some fertilizer would be a great thing to do. And I don't think you'll see any problem on it at all next year. Right. That's a, I, we never did think about aphids because, you know, my uh, dad's aunt, she had a row of uh, pears yeah. uh, that she would trim back and it took over fire blight. Yeah. And, just, and it, it was a very similar uh, yeah. looking, oh, yeah. you know, situation. And, you know, how the bark exfoliates itself on those mm -hmm. crepe myrtles. And what I did, I took my pocket knife and I was taking some of that bark off of there. And there was a bunch of ladybugs that were dead underneath that bark, and they were all crowded together like in a, oh, yeah. you know, a ball of them. It was the craziest well, thing I'd ever seen. And some of them may actually just be dormant. They look dead, but some of them may come back to life this spring. But uh, it's a perfect description of it. If you ever want to really tell the difference, what you'll find is if you see the fire blight on a pear tree, uh, you'll see that the black goes all the way through the leaf. If you took your thumb and forefinger, you can rub the black off on this crepe myrtle. Right. Yeah. Right. We did and that, that, and it did come off. Yeah, it's just mold is all you're looking at, and that mold just grew on the sugary stuff that the aphids left behind. Chances are the ladybugs, even if they're not alive, have laid a lot of eggs because they just said, hey, this is a target-rich environment. Their offspring this next spring will probably totally control the problem. So you brought up a real good point and a real good interesting thing to discuss, but uh, you don't need to do a thing other than just fertilize and maybe put a little lava sand around would help it. All right. Well, I'll tell uh, my buddy Jason that, and uh, we always appreciate your program and give all your four-legged kids a hug when you get home today. <laughs> I won't even have to wait that long. <laughs> Some of them are pretty close to me right now. So, Frank, I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Take care.
Never mind. Uh, let's get Leslie in here before the top of the hour. Good morning, Leslie. Good morning, Bob. Um, Good morning. I just have uh, a couple of quick questions. Um, I have, in in quotation marks, rescued a couple of orchids. Okay. Um, and my they're phalaenopsis. And my question is, when I water these orchids, should I be feeding every time, like, Every time I water, you know, very lightly. The choice is yours, and that has been a debated subject among orchid growers for many, many years. Some people say, I feed weekly, weekly, meaning that they make a dilute solution and use it at least once a week. Other people um, will feed every two weeks, every four weeks, and it makes absolutely no difference to the plant. I would do whatever your schedule allows. If you are not able to, you know, feed often, then I would certainly mix it a little bit more concentrated up to a couple of ounces per gallon if you want to feed every time you water i would put maybe one to two teaspoons per gallon and when you're using a good liquid organic fertilizer like castro plant or the liquid fish you're never going to burn anything so just just feed on whatever schedule is convenient for you uh, if you don't feed very often make it a little bit stronger when you do feed Okay. They're putting on multiple bloom spikes, so I just want to make it right, you know? Very good. Um, now look very carefully at the medium they're growing in and look at the roots. The roots should be kind of light gray in color with a bright green, almost gelatinous looking tip on the roots. Uh, if they are not in bloom now, but they're starting to put on active growth, it might be a real good time to repot them. I recommend using an orchid bark mix, but uh, you're obviously taking good care of them. But if they stay in that sphagnum moss that they started their life in in Taiwan, uh, eventually it starts to break down and the root starts to die off. Uh, so at some point, I think you want to transfer them to bark. You'll have to water a little more often, but uh, doing this, you can maintain them for years. Yeah, I, I took them out of that stuff when oh, I got good. them. So, yeah. <laughs> You're way ahead of I've, me then. I've, li I've listened to you for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Leslie, I appreciate it. I hope you have a wonderful Sunday. And uh, good luck same. with your Thank orchids. Thank you. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. All right, we have an hour left in the garden show, and then Dr. Kirby will be in to talk about your pet's health for an hour. We're going to talk to Annette and Margaret, and Regina will be my next three callers. Certainly glad to have you out there today. It's a beautiful Sunday morning and uh, so much to do. Uh, let's just get back to the phone lines. Good morning, Annette. Good morning, Bob. Good you know morning. what? Yesterday was such a wonderful day to stay indoors and plant my tomato seeds. Get those started. <laughs> Good for you. That's that's putting your time to very beneficial use. That's right. That's right. The time came around really fast. I wasn't expecting. It. All of a sudden, like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be planting them outside soon. I got to get started. <laughs> there you go. That smart lady. It. Uh, you know, just uh, it'll take about six weeks to make a good plant, which means that uh, you'll be right around the first of March when those transplants are ready to go into the garden. And if this turns out to be a typical year, that should be just about perfect. But, you know, who nobody in with any sense at all tries to forecast the weather. But you're you're going to be right at about the right time. It was a great day to plant tomato seeds. Well, that's what I'm looking forward to. And last year, I planted uh, sun gold tomatoes. Yes, yes. Those were amazing. 
<laughs> and I, I harvested a whole bunch of green tomatoes right before the freeze, and mm-hmm. they're still ripening up. It's amazing how long these tomatoes are lasting. Oh, and Sun Gold is one of my favorite varieties. It's the sweetest little tomato. I tell people the first thing I typically do when I walk into the garden in the summer months is pick and eat about 20 of those, and then I'll go to work on whatever I need to. But they're not only so delicious, but they are just absolutely packed with things that are good for you. Uh, I'm glad you've discovered Sun Gold. It's one of my favorites. If you If you want a big yellow tomato sometime, look at one called Lemon Boy. Uh, that one, lemon and Carolina gold. If you like yellow tomatoes, uh, they will give you a tomato that's you know like four inches across, and still, uh, you're probably not just going to pick it and eat it like we do the sun golds. But <laughs> yellow, the 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 colorful tomatoes. The one thing about yellow tomatoes is they're going to be low acid, so you're never going to can with them. You're going to eat them fresh. Uh, if you're looking for another color, then you can go to some of the purple tomatoes, which have a lot of a pigment called anthocyanin in them, which actually has uh, some different nutrients in it that's going to be real good for you. Uh, just uh, There's no such thing as too many different kinds of tomatoes. Oh, I, I kind of overdid it last year. I'm trying to hold back a little bit this year. <laughs> my, my you problem... never overdo tomatoes. You just don't have enough friends <laughs> if you had any extras. Well, yep. that's what happened is I had a hard time uh, when I planted my seedlings and I had to thin them out. I had a really hard time throwing them away, so I just replanted the ones that I was thinning out. And, yeah, there that's what go. I just gave a lot away. Yeah, that works. That works. <laughs> so my question is, uh, we bought a pecan tree. I can't tell you the variety. It was several years ago we bought it when it was only just about maybe two, three feet high. And now it's close to 10 feet tall. Very but good. what I have learned since is that we need to have another pecan in order to for it to give us pecans. <laughs> Otherwise, it's well, not a really pretty tea outside. It, if you have another pecan, you will get more nuts. But pecan trees are going to give you some production, whether you have another tree or not. And if there's another tree in the neighborhood, it may be close enough because pecan pollen uh, is is not nearly as irritating as cedar pollen, but it's a very very fine pollen that blows through the air, and it'll blow you know half a mile or a day like yesterday, it'll probably blow twenty miles. So yeah. <laughs> you would get you would get more nuts. If you if you had a second tree, but um, I, that's not to say you're not going to get at least some pecans. I, you know, I, here at the nursery we've got uh, pecan tree was here when we bought this property a lot of years ago. Uh, it's one tree, and I don't even know where the nearest second tree is. But that thing is so loaded up. I mean, it's just a squirrel's holiday out there every summer. So don't despair at this point. If you have room to plant another one, yeah, that would be fine. But it's not necessarily absolutely mandatory. Now, if you get real scientific about it, uh, and it'd be difficult because you don't know the variety. But some pecans produce their pollen first. Some pecans produce the little female part we call the nutlet first and your commercial growers they're not only going to have multiple varieties but they're going to uh, get you know a bunch of them what it's called protandrous or protogenous and if you get real scientific about it you can get definitely increase the number of pecans but I'd be willing to bet you're going to get a pretty fair crop off off of that tree without having to plant a second one. So if we wanted to plant a second one it would have to be the same variety Oh, no, no, it would be much better if it were a different variety. 
But like I say, without knowing what this variety is, we don't know whether it's those two bad words, protandrous and protogenous, so we don't know what its opposite would be. But if it was just a different oh. variety, then it would be shedding its pollen at a slightly different time, and you probably do just fine. But uh, oh. remember the trees, you know, if it's a grafted tree, it can produce pecans the first year. But if this is a tree that was grown from a pecan, it can take up to 10 years before it's uh, mature, sexually mature as it were, before it can be mature enough to produce pecans. So if you're not getting pecans yet, it might not be because there's not a second tree. It might just be that this tree is just six years old and it's not quite big enough to have babies. Yeah, that might be it. And our issue is we live in a neighborhood where everybody has 5, 10, 15 acres. So uh-huh. if one of our neighbors has another pecan, I don't know what the chances are of the, of the pollen getting to it. <laughs> so oh, it's... we were thinking about looking for another pecan well one of my questions was do you have any recommendations as to what type of pecan tree we should get if we're looking for lots of pecans well the in in general i will tell you to look at what we call the indian varieties there's mohawk there's cheyenne there's choctaw i don't recommend do not get the one called wichita my experience is more susceptible to a disease called pecan scab fungus um, your commercial growers always plant about half their orchards in a tree called Desirable, because Desirable is probably the most productive pecan tree out there, but it's a little weak wooded, and it's the first tree that can suffer some storm damage, so don't plant it where it's right over the top of uh, uh, your your home. i tell you what you might do. You might go online. You've heard me talk about this company called Swift River Pecans. I just became acquainted with them a yeah. few months ago, but these guys have grafted and planted like over a thousand pecan trees in their orchards and i'd call and just say hey this is where i am what do you think the best variety based on your experience what do you think the best variety i can plant is uh they'll share that information with you and uh they even have some trees you might even want to think about getting a tree from them that's a great idea um another question i had last year i wanted to put flowers into my vegetable garden for more pollination and i got some zinnias and cosmos and the other thing i planted was some blue victory salvia Uh boy did that thing grow i was not expecting it to be so huge and it's going to be back this year it's going to be back this year it freezes down and comes back out and it just gets bigger and thicker every year and I don't even, I saved a whole bunch of seeds just because it's hard for me not to save all these beautiful seeds when they're out uh-huh. there. And I don't even know where I'm going to plant them because I've got so many of them now. <laughs> but um, well. we did not prune it back. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm wondering if we should still prune it back and kind of just let it freeze down. and It'll be prettier. Seed. It'll be prettier if you cut it back and let it come out from the base again. Uh, but the plant doesn't really care. If I were going to do this, I'd probably do it about the middle of February because, you know, pruning it back is always going to stimulate some new growth, and uh, you don't want to have a lot of new growth coming out and then have it get super, super cold. So I put it on your calendar sometime around Valentine's Day to go ahead and cut it back reasonably far, and it will be a more manageable plant for you next year. And planting okay. seeds fine, but I'll tell you honestly, salvias grow so easily from cuttings. Uh, most people uh-huh. propagate them by cuttings. So you can spread it around the neighborhood if you like. 
Oh, I'm telling you, I've got so many seeds. It was hard. I'm, I'm really, it's really tough not the zinnia. I got a gazillion zinnia seeds as well. <laughs> well, you just keep up the good work. If you're on, sounds like you're in an area where you have pretty good amount of land around you, and there's no such thing as too many flowers. That's true. Other than that, the deer enjoy them as well. Well, there's uh, there, there's this wonderful, very healthy meat out there called venison, and uh, <laughs> we we need to have a lot more of that harvested across the hill country. And uh, the deer would be healthier, the land would be healthier, and your salvias wouldn't get eaten as quite as much or your other flowers. One last question: We had a dirt road recently paved, and we've got some little. Uh, plants growing through them and i heard you talking about uh using vinegar orange oil molasses but i feel like i'm missing something else from other ingredients yeah, one one last thing is a few drops of liquid soap that's what it was all right i'm gonna write that down i need to remember to walk around with a, a notepad with me when i'm listening to you <laughs> <laughs> well you're mighty kind and i hope you have a wonderful sunday and you call me anytime i can help and that's my pleasure Thank you so much, Bob. You have a great weekend. You do the same. Thank you. Let's talk for a moment about Wild Birds Unlimited. Talk about a, gosh, just a neat, neat company. Kyle and his staff, I was in there before Christmas stocking up on things for other people along with me. And I just, every time I go in there, I'm I'm just continually impressed at how knowledgeable that staff is and how nice they are. They truly, they want to help you enjoy their hobby as much as they do. And if you're not into birding, well, it's just a great hobby. Great thing to get young people started with. Uh, older folks that may not be able to get out as much as they once did, very few things will bring them as much pleasure as a feeder which brings all kinds of colorful life up close to the windows. You know, the Wild Birds Unlimited, they have absolutely the best quality when it comes to feeders, when it comes to seed. They have their winter blend seed right now. Don't buy that junk at the grocery store. They sell the same stuff all the time, and this time of year, there's something better. It's called, it's a winter blend seed, and you'll find it at Wild Birds Unlimited. Plus, they have all sorts of suet cake, which is great for many of your different birds this time of year. Ah, they just they have so many things and you know lots of things not even related to birding they have an incredible assortment of gifts all the stores shop for their own independent gift merchandise and our store right out there at the corner of northwest military and hebner they have probably the best gift selection i've ever seen in a wild birds unlimited store they're in that shopping center they're on the side that actually faces northwest military give them a call i know they change your hours around for the holidays and uh, uh you might want to just give them a call 479 bird the number's easy to remember 210-479-BIRD but you get out and see them Wild Birds Unlimited South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071 to Gardening and straight back to the phone lines going to be Margaret and Regina and Judith Margaret's next good morning Margaret good morning Bob good morning Okay, first of all, I want, I want to apologize. I know you've answered this question tons of times, but it didn't Don't really pertain to me. Ever apologize. <laughs> you know, I used to teach freshman biology, and I found that if there's a question that one person wanted answered, probably 90% of the class wanted it answered, and most of them didn't get it the first time around. So you're doing everybody okay. a favor. So quit apologizing and let me help you. <laughs> okay, peach trees. Um, yes. Do I need to? 
yes. for them to produce best? Yes. Yes, okay. you do. Absolutely. Uh, and the other important thing when you're choosing your peach trees is you've got to be very careful to get a peach tree that fits in with the number of what we call chilling hours, number of hours below 45 mm-hmm. degrees your area gets in an average okay. winter. We can't grow Fredericksburg peaches in San Antonio, and uh, we can't grow Bernie peaches in Divine. So uh, sure. be sure that you, you understand the chilling hour requirement and get varieties, and then just try to choose uh, two different varieties if possible. Where, where are you located? Okay. Uh, Medina Lake area. Medina Lake area, you could look at June Gold, you could look at John Fanick, uh, you uh-huh. could look at uh, Melba. Uh, if you wanted to throw in one lower chilling one, just in case we have a mild winter, uh, Sam Houston is a big, big juicy peach. Uh, oh, okay. You've, you've, you've got quite a few choices, and Medina area, if you can find a place with decent soil, you'll you'll grow good peaches. Okay, and full sun? Yes, absolute full okay. sun. The first year you will prune the tree to determine its shape for the rest of its life. We tend to let the trunk come up and then we want to have three or four branches radiating out like the spokes on a wheel. So first year we do real pruning. After that we basically just thin things out. So uh, probably okay. you might find trees up there at Love Creek Orchards. You might find them in Bernie at Hill Country African Violets. If you make the trip into San Antonio, you'll find your best mm-hmm. selection anywhere over at Fanix Nursery. Right. I was there last week, I believe, um, okay. looking at their peach trees. And uh-huh. they're like six feet tall, just tall sticks. <laughs> yep. They didn't have little branches coming off the, the lower well, and unfortunately, that's that's the way some of the growers are, and sometimes uh-huh. you just have to sacrifice a bunch of the top of the trunk to force them to put on the side branches, but I don't want you up on a ladder picking the fruit, you know, three <laughs> years from now, so uh, uh, in selecting your trees, look as best you can, I, and, and tell Mark or Mike over there, tell them to fuss at Saxton Bechtel or wherever they're getting their trees, and tell them you uh-huh. want lower-headed trees, because I've I've seen that trend, oh, you know, probably for about four mm-hmm. years now, and it's just a big, big mistake the growers are doing. I think grow more trees in a smaller area, but they're not oh, doing yeah, the customers right. any right. favor. So go ahead and get one of those taller ones or keep looking for a lower bush type. I would look for a lower bush one, but if, uh, and Mark or Mike are the two real tree experts over there to talk mm-hmm. to. If they say mm-hmm. they're not going to get them, then I just, uh, you know, it's so funny. Years and years ago, I worked with a wonderful gentleman up in Bernie named Alton Grimm. And oh, yeah. Alton insisted that we always prune the tree for the customer before they took it home because he said, I can tell them how to prune it. They're going to go home and they're going to look at that tree and say, I paid for the top of that tree. I'm not cutting it off. <laughs> so if it were me, I'd cut it off before I left the nursery just to be sure that right. you're choosing the best spot to do it. Okay, okay. Um, next question. When I was at Phoenix, I got me a lovely lime tree, uh, Persian uh-huh. lime. Okay. And it already had the white blooms on it, and as the white blooms fall off and the fruit starts to form, there are clusters of like four, six, eight uh, little fruits at uh-huh. the end of the branch. Will they uh, fall off? Will some of them fall off and uh, kind of thin out themselves, or am I going to have to? 
pick some of those off. You're probably going to have to pick some of them off, but don't be in a hurry to do it because the the tree is naturally probably going to abort some of the fruit. Having Mm -hmm. two limes together in a cluster is not bad, but I'd let them get up a little bit bigger than an English pea, and then I will go through and thin it down to no more than two fruits per cluster. Now, realize a Persian lime and a Mexican lime are two entirely different things. Persian lime is going to mm-hmm. be a big lime. It's going to bloom in the spring, and it's going to produce pretty much all of its fruit in the fall, just like an orange or a grapefruit or something else would. Uh, if you want a smaller lime, and if you have room for another tree, the fun thing about the so-called Mexican lime is that it can bloom any time of year, and it can produce fruit 12 months out of the year, so the fruit will not be as big but you can have a good margarita (laughs) 12 months out of the year or limeade or key lime pie or you know whatever you like so persian limes are just a little bit different story Um, they grow pretty much the same but they have a you know a different bearing pattern so just want you to understand what it is and what to do okay blue now and then in the fall it may yeah it's peaking time okay oh okay i guess i had it backwards i got the mexican lime no, the, the Mexican lime single. is ever-blooming. The Persian lime mm. is spring-blooming, fall-producing. Okay, very good. That's why I call the expert. I think you ask good questions. Don't ever hesitate to ask because you think there's already been answered. It's always good to hear from you, Margaret. Thank right. you. Thank you. Have a great Certainly. day. You do. Bye-bye. Regina is next. Good morning, Regina. Hi there. I have a, two questions. One is okay. about the straw straw and checking for picloram, that little okay. test that you've talked about. And yes. another is uh, whether or not uh, we're a good area for or what you can tell me about that Palo Azul ki- kidney wood. Okay. Um, first of all, on the kidney wood, uh, it's it is a you know a native plant. Uh, mine it grows wild around my ranch, but some of my plants did freeze last year. Uh, of course, last mm-hmm. year was an unusual year, but uh, so most of the time, kidney wood's going to be a great choice. Blooms profusely. The bees absolutely love it. In fact, around my ranch, it's a little bit invasive, but just it's it's not totally cold hardy, which we learned the hard way. Most of the plants have come out from down near ground level, but uh, it's really the first time I've ever, ever seen it freeze, but uh, it certainly mm-hmm. did freeze. Okay. Oh, okay. So it it, it, it is a, a nice native plant to, to yeah. use then? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, do you, what do you know about its herb? Uh, potential for for the kidneys or specifically or you know, you know i i would send you to uh, howard garrett's website or his book herbs okay. of texas uh, i wish i were more of an herbalist it's just one of those things that i haven't had time to, to research as much as i would like to but there are there are a couple of good books out there uh, and if okay. you want to call somebody that might know, call my friend Rondo, but Rhonda's Nature's Way. That lady knows more about natural things than anybody I've ever known. Next time I see her, I'll ask her, you know, what her information is. But there's a lot of neat stuff out there. I learned about boneset a few years ago, Eupatorium, and uh, uh, it actually does, has been used successfully in helping mend bones for a long time. So never really thought about the name kidney wood, and I don't know whether that's because it has medicinal qualities or whether it's, uh, you know, some characteristic of the wood, but it'd be fun to find out. Uh, Whichever one of us learns first, we'll share it here on the air. Right. Okay. All right then. And and then on the straw, um, uh, 
I I found a, a source that just kind of fell off on the side of the road, mm-hmm. and I was going to go and harvest it, but I I wanted to make sure that it was going to work for me before I put all that energy into it. So Well, um, and see, here's the problem with picloram. Picloram is an herbicide uh, which kills everything except grass. I mean, it'll kill right. oak trees, uh-huh. but uh, uh-huh. and it's very persistent. Uh, it, if a cow eats hay that is treated with picloram, the picloram comes out in the manure, and everywhere you put the manure, things uh, you know will die. But uh, right. the test that you can do, if you're, if you know, if you've got a substantial amount of hay or whatever, and you want to know if there's picloram residue left in it you simply take like a five gallon bucket fill the bucket maybe half full of hay then fill it with water up to the top of the hay and let it stand for 24 to 36 hours something like that and then just look for a weed a broadleaf weed it could be uh, you know, dandelion, it could be henbit, it could be spurge, but just remember the picloram is not going to hurt grass, so pouring it on a grassy weed is not going to give you any indication. But if you find a okay. bit of clover, a bit of, uh, and, and believe me, there are plenty of dandelions coming up if your yard's <laughs> like mine, find a dandelion or something like that, pour the water on it and watch it for 24 hours. If there's picloram still coated on the hay, uh, your dandelion will start to shrivel and turn brown around the edges. Okay, okay. Um, I just could not, for the life of me, remember how that was. How well, I had heard you say say what to do, but uh, um, yeah, now that I, 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 I may be able to. <laughs> Once once you've done it once, you will always remember it. But the really important thing is the weed that you choose to pour it on because, you know, there's so many of these grassy weeds coming up, people call winter grass, but that won't tell you a thing because picloram doesn't kill those. It kills uh, your tomatoes and your peppers and your everything you don't want it to kill. So find clover, find uh, henbit, find, you know, one of the non-grassy weeds to test it on. And uh, okay. then you'll, you'll you'll get an accurate test every time. And uh, if you forget any of it, you just don't hesitate to call me back. I'm always looking for good questions. Okay, so that's a 24-hour trial on that. Then after you yeah. pour it on, okay. After you pour it on, okay. you should see uh, you should see whether it's going to hurt it. That will usually show up within 24 hours. Uh, soak it for about 24 hours to be sure it's off the hay and into the water before you apply it. Okay. I, I walked away from the radio this morning just as you were saying what to do about getting prepared for this next weekend's cold. And it was watering, right? That's kind of that where was, I walked That's away. the number one thing is be water, sure everything water. is thoroughly watered. Be sure you stop watering when the temperature drops below freezing. Uh, but that's the number one thing. And then beyond that, just cover your sensitive plants as best you can. Um, right. The, the you insulating mean? fabric that I like best is one called Insulate. It's the letter N-S-U-L-A-T-E. Right. I find that. I have found that really good. And you mentioned earlier blanket uh, not being worthwhile. And I found a source for that, and, and I thought I'd really hit a uh, Hay dirt, and no, it let me down this last week. Oh yeah, no, I've, I everybody that I know that has tried those things has had very bad results, including me. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm not sure what the difference is, 
But uh, I, I like the insulate much better and like it for a number of reasons, too. It lets enough light through. We put it around right. tropical vines mm-hmm. and things and left it on the whole winter. Uh, another place, my business partner uses a lot of it in her garden, just puts it on and off and on and off. And she's still using the same pieces of fabric she's had for, you know, several years. So it does keep a long time. If you leave it out in the sun, it's only going to last you a season or two. But if you just put it on and take it off, you're, you don't have to keep buying it over and over again. Again. Okay, so keeping it out of the sun and the UV deterioration on it, or right? Well, is that what I heard you say? Well, it just yeah, don't don't leave it out all summer long. I mean, uh, it does not deteriorate rapidly. You can put it out, mm-hmm. you can leave it on for two weeks, you can leave it on for two months, but then bring it inside. But uh, the other okay. thing that I okay. use it for is I put it around the lower part of my tomato plants and things when I'm planting just to keep the wind off and I may leave it mm-hmm. on there for half the summer and when you leave it out that long it does break down but putting it on for a few days or even a few weeks it's going to last a long time for you. Okay well that's what I've, I've already mine's already a season old and I really did like it and I went by your place and picked up some more um, <clears throat> so and one other thing about that is that you said uh, something like on my on my avocado and moringa, I need to really pay attention to get down on the bark, and then if they're container planted, even include the container. Wouldn't wouldn't you need to do that? Well, to, it's to it's very important to do the entire trunk of the tree. And uh, sometimes that's all you can protect. Our big old Hong Kong orchid tree here at the nursery last year, I mean, the tree was 15 feet tall and 25 feet wide, obviously. And so what we did was just wrap the trunk up to about five feet tall. Everything froze except the five feet of trunk, and it's already, you know, back you know 15 feet tall and 15 feet wide so the trunk is the most important thing you protect and then beyond that you protect you know as much as you can but uh just be sure you've got the trunk you know protected now as far as the pot if it's going to breathe and most of the well all the freeze we've had so far this year and everything i see on the horizon now uh where it gets cold and then warms back up you don't have to worry about the pot but like last year when it got below freezing and we went for three days without getting above freezing then the whole pot can freeze solid and that can be very very damaging to the plants so if it's going to be a prolonged period below freezing, yes, it would be good to protect the pots, but that's only okay. going to be 10% of the time. Okay. Well, then I don't feel so bad about my avocado. I didn't quite get all the pot covered this last time. Okay. No, it would be right. fine. Thanks so much. You're welcome, Thank Regina. You. Thank you. Thank you so Thank much. You. Certainly. All right, uh, Judith, you'll be up first when we come back. I get to talk to you about Rhonda's Nature's Way. Speaking of Rhonda Bone and her wonderful staff and family, uh, in some cases that's the same, Rhonda's Nature's Way is just a remarkable place. I can't tell you how much I have learned from Rhonda. Of course, I've known her for a lot of years, and uh, that lady has more knowledge and is always moving forward. She's always looking, testing new things to see which really give you relief. Right now, cedar is horrible for so many people. She's got Cedar X, which is a product, uh, I think it's naturopathic or homeopathic one, but this is all natural, and man, does it relieve cedar allergies for a lot of people. Don't be running to the to the doctor for steroids or whatever. Go see, get some Cedar X from Rhonda. What I get from her is called seasonal, out, seasonal allergy relief. I don't have uh, major cedar problems, but uh, it does bother me a little bit. Seasonal 
personal allergy relief gives me all the relief I need. Totally natural product and totally safe. Other things, I mean, I take products I get from her to support my immune system, which has been a really good idea. She has the very best in vitamins and supplements, uh, so much better than you can find on the grocery store shelves or some chain pharmacy somewhere. What I've got to get by sometime is just make the time to get by and try her new foot bath detox, which she does at both stores. I tell you, I did the reflexology and the Beamer Light Therapy and Red Light Therapy last year, and just amazing experiences. And by the way, those things are fully accepted and recommended by the medical community as well. It's just a special place, and if you've made a resolution to lose some weight and you're finding it a little bit difficult, talk to Rhonda. She's got a lot of things that will help, and she's got some things that are good and sweet tasting, but no artificial sweeteners, no refined sugar. Check out the sweet cakes. Lots of fiber and lots of good taste and no refined sugar. And uh, check out the mock fruit sweetened chocolate, dark chocolate bars. Oh my gosh, there's so much good stuff at Rhonda's. Go see her. She's open every day except Sunday. Southside stores over on Southwest Military Drive. Northside stores in the shopping center there at the corner of I-10 and Callahan. Wonderful place to go. Wonderful person to know. Rhonda at Rhonda's Nature's Way. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. City Judith and Scott and Kim. Judith is up first. Good morning, Judith. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Thank you so much for taking my call. So your oh, caller, thank you for calling. Ago, yeah. Um, talked talk about peach trees, which she pretty much answered all of our questions, except the one question my husband wants me to ask, because I have a loving husband who I have a garden dream, and he makes it a reality. I just sit back and watch him water <laughs> and fertilize. Um, okay. He uh, he wanted to know, is it okay to prune the peach tree now, or should we wait till after the freeze this week? We're oh, here no. in Ferret France. Go go ahead and prune any time. But I, when I talk about the trimming you do on these trees, I much prefer to use the word thin rather than prune, because you're not going to go through and just reduce overall the whole tree. You go through, you individually, branch by branch, you go up and down that branch and cut out like every other little branch is coming off to the side because you want to reduce the amount of wood uh, that would ha- have blooms that would try to support fruit. It just makes for a much stronger tree. It means that the fruit that you get will be much better quality. So thinning is what we do rather than pruning, and this afternoon would be a great day to do it. And my other question was, did I understand that we needed two peach trees to get the best peaches, or am I just hearing things? No, you're always best to have two trees, and if you can have two different varieties, uh, this will give you the very best as far as peaches. Now, here's one fun fact to know. Pretty much all the trees bloom at about the same time, but they ripen their fruit at different times. So if you choose carefully, you could plant one peach tree that produces in early June. You could plant a peach tree that produces in late June. You could plant a third peach tree that produces in July, and that way you'll have fresh peaches over a much longer period of time. That's a good point. I didn't even think about that. Okay, so That's I have an what you need before. I've already made that now. mistake. <laughs> uh, my, my second question was, um, I, I was taught in the past to not fertilize in the winter, and then I heard you this morning talking about fertilizing in the winter because the plants will know what to do with it and not get activated to grow crazy. Well, you're, um, you're, you're, is that true, you're, you're, or did I misunderstand? 
No, you you understood completely, but you didn't get the whole story. We do not fertilize in the winter with synthetic fertilizers like Scott's and miracle Grow and things like that because the nutrient in those fertilizers, well, it's bad for the soil too, but that's a whole other story. But it has nothing to bind it to the soil. It actually has uh, a negative charge to it. Our soil's full of negative charges, so all the fertilizer there just washes away and pollutes the river and pollutes the ocean. Organic fertilizers, the nutrient in them is positively charged. It binds to the soil it doesn't wash away so no uh the the guys using the synthetic chemical stuff yeah they're right they should never use that in the winter of course in my opinion they should never use it at all but those of us that use the organic products uh we use them 365 days a year in the winter they make your plants more cold hardy they help your plants store nutrients for spring growth and anything that the plants don't get to it stays in the soil until the plants are ready for it so uh um no we don't fertilize with chemical synthetic fertilizers yes we do fertilize with organic fertilizers does that clear it up yes and i only use medina since i found you uh almost eight years ago so hasta grow is usually what i use well um, it's a I wonderful product in november and, <laughs> right uh try some of his new uh, liquid fish blend too i alternate that with the has to grow and uh just remarkable results in my greenhouse Okay, well, I'm going to change that, and thank you for giving me permission to get another peach tree. <laughs> <laughs> you enjoy, Judith. Take uh, uh, take the advice I also gave uh, about choosing a variety very carefully according to where you are. And uh, do check out, you know, um, I don't know, you can, I probably can find it online, but uh, you can find a peach ripening chart that will give you an idea of when the different varieties ripen. And people that want to make a can of bunch of peaches they want all their peaches ripe at the same time peaches that like to eat their or people that like to eat their peaches fresh it's sometimes uh, fun to have a tree that produces at different times just so you have a longer season to pick so anyway above all you enjoy your peaches and you call me next time you have a question thanks bob Bye. my pleasure thank you all right let me get my last break of the show out of the way and uh then we will gosh then we'll be close to the end of the show but i get to talk to you about uh uh dr mark williamson over i mean dr williamson is a fellow that ed staffel chose to carry on his practice uh, mark is probably the most broadly trained dentist you're going to find anywhere in the area and he is just totally anti-modern dentistry modern dentistry is corporate dentistry where oh they try to see as many patients as possible spend as little time with them as possible use the cheapest materials they can find bringing in things from china and other places Uh uh-uh not going to happen at dr williamson's office he's going to take the time to fully understand your mouth and your oral health and get to know you he is going to be able to take care of any procedure that you need right there in his office and his skill level is just head and shoulders above most of the dentists that are out there plus he's just such an incredibly nice guy i mean everybody that i talked to that's been over there one of my friends i won't mention him by name but he said are those people on drugs or what i've never been in such a happy office 
therapists. No, they're just good people that love their clients, love their patients, and are awful nice people to begin with. You're going to find that your oral health really matters when you see Dr. Williamson, and uh, it, it just it will be a pleasurable experience. And he does all kinds of dentistry. If you're most comfortable with sedation dentistry, yes, he still follows the techniques that Dr. Staffel pioneered, but you're going to be amazed how relaxed you are just being in that office. Learn more. Give his office a call, 341-2569. That's 210-341-2569 for Dr. Williamson and Associates. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. I my buddies out on the lake. We're headed out to a special place we love. That just a few folks know. There's no signing up, no monthly dues. Take your Johnson, your Mercury, or your Evan Rude and fired up. Eat us out at Party Cold. Come on in, the water's fine. Just idle on over and toss us a line. Fast trackers, mail liners, and a party barge. Strung together like a floating trailer park. Anchored out and getting loud all summer long. Oh, Don, where up with our, I guess we would call this a fishing song, we call this a boating song, a party boating song, and uh, uh, being on the water is always great. Having a great engineer like Mr. Don Cooper Stevens is a great, enjoyable thing for me every other Saturday and Sunday mornings, and hope you enjoy his music as well. Always try to get a uh, good humorous or sometimes just a good thought-provoking song in for the last break of the show. Right now, we're going to talk to Scott and Kim, and Scott is up first. Good morning, Scott. Hello, Bob. Hello, sir. Um, I need to repot uh, some citrus this year. Okay. I have uh, key lime, Persian lime, uh, clementine mandarin, and a uh, Myers lemon. Okay. Uh, I don't like the soil that's in there. It was really bad, but I kind of didn't have time to go get some more. Uh, okay. What? March, April be good time to do that, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, okay. uh, uh, now, if you're going to pretty much discard that soil that's there and, uh, you know, basically bare root it, go toward the earlier time. I would certainly do it before the hotter weather arrives. If you're just going to, you know, pop it out of the pot that's in, repot it, add some more soil under it and around it, you can do that almost any time. But if you're actually going to pretty much bare root it, I'd go ahead and do that as uh, soon as you conveniently can. Yeah, no, I was not going to completely bare root it, but try to get rid of most of it. It was, I had bought the soil previously and it was just fine. And then this batch was just nothing but sand and mulch. It was horrible. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you can you can get some better, or you can take that soil and add a bunch of compost to it. Add some lava sand, improve what you have. Well, I did that. Just... I did that when I originally planted it, but it's okay. still very sandy. Um. Is it okay to trim the roots, like, eventually further down the line? I'm just going to keep them in there, sort of, not bonsai, but you know what I mean, same yeah, principle. Just, just remember that you want a balance between the roots and the top. If you trim uh, the roots by 15%, go ahead and trim the top of the tree by 15% as well. Always try to maintain that balance. Okay. Okay. Uh, I think that's it. 
Well, very good. You get out and enjoy. Get your trees replanted in some better soil. And we'll finish the show up with Kim. Good morning, Kim. Good morning, Bob. I was going with some questions about using a proper dating mat in my greenhouse. Okay. Um, I got one for Christmas, and I don't really know how to use it properly. My greenhouse temperature is set for the heater to come on when it gets to 42 degrees and go off at 45 degrees. And I have some glow, grow lights set up for my ceilings when they pop up. I was reading on the Internet that I should turn the propagating mat off when I turn the grow lights on. Is that Absolutely not. True? Absolutely no. bad, bad, bad advice. Uh, your grow okay, lights can stay on 24 advice? hours a day. And okay. um, you, uh, I, your, your propagating mat provides what we call bottom heat, which, of course, stimulates rooting in the case of cuttings and stimulates root growth, uh, both on cuttings and on seeds. So a propagating mat is a wonderful thing to have. Mine gets plugged in in the fall, and it just stays, stays plugged in all winter long, and I'll rotate different things through on top of it, some things I'm rooting, some things that I'm, you know, starting seeds for the spring vegetable garden and all. I think you're running your greenhouse a little cool. I think uh, minimum temperature, uh, of uh, probably 55 for most things is going to be a lot better than letting it get down in the 40s and even that is too cool for some of the orchids and things like that but um, no leave I just leave the propagating mat on all the time uh, and uh, you can let the air temperature run cooler when you when your roots are warmer so it, you certainly can let it run a little bit cooler but just kind of make that determination depending on what you want to grow and what you want to propagate all right sounds good thank you and if you ever want to call me with a list and say, okay, I want to propagate impatience, I want to propagate begonias, I want to propagate pittosporum, um, let me know what you're trying to grow, and I can be a yeah. lot more specific on exactly how to do it. Mostly just uh, seeds for the vegetable garden, just to kind of get okay. them that, that good start. Yeah, well, that light is critically important, and uh, I'd be wanting to maintain a greenhouse temperature minimum 60, and I'd leave the propagating mat on all the time, and uh, you call me anytime you have questions. It's always good to hear from you.